Look at that avatar. Mm. I feel like I shouldn't get into it. But you're going to. <sighs> so if we talk about Interstellar, are we going to do the thing? Are we, we put it at the end? Um, let's see. What do we got here? We got see so much of what I put in here is media, and you know, media is hard. I don't know if this goes in the spoiler slot. I think it probably does. I guess. Mm-hmm. You keep putting off the dad jeans. We got. <laughs> no, we got... I'm not putting off. That's what's going to go before this. Oh. oh, really? Yeah, right. And the end is after that. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure it out if we can. We can make it through. Fall up, and my levels are all messed up again. Hmm. What else is new? Yeah, I'm all right. You're not superstitious. But uh, I was just thinking, I mean, I feel like, you know, we've been doing this for a while now. I don't, I think we've maybe had like one Skype problem ever. Don't jinx it, man. See, now I'm going to get sick because I mentioned it. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't get my flu shot. Says in uh, in the Weather Underground app. Says the flu is uh, is widespread. Was the term that they used. Mm-hmm. Did you get your flu shot? Underground app. Yeah. So what it's called? You can check next door to see if people with the flu are coming. Listen, to your door. next door is making tremendous strides to cut back on the extreme racism. Yeah, I remember seeing. What was it, a year ago? Two years ago, when they changed the forms to try to lead you away from being a terrible person. I had faith in humanity's ability to bypass those forms, to power through them, <laughs> to get to the checkboxes that you were looking for. Yeah. These are these are problems that online communities have struggled with for... Uh, this is not a new problem. Nope. But, you know, it, like any of these services, though, you don't want to turn off your most, uh, you know, voracious users. You know, if you only, if you only, or your only users, as the case may be. Well, yeah, I, I don't want to go that far, but yeah, I mean, like I say in ours, the same names do keep you know popping up quite mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and there's a there's a thing you can do. I, I I've never posted on there. It's I use all fake information for sites like that. Um, anyway, but um, they uh, they have this thing where you can have a post and you can make it make it urgent. Right, I guess if there's like an active shooter or something, like, like high priority emails, high, 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 yeah, like the double, double red peppers. No, I guess red peppers was profanity, right? And Eudora? Oh, I don't know. I never used Eudora. Really? What'd you use back then? Claris Emailer. Oh, okay. Huh. But you have I I I, I know this because I occasionally will get an email from Nextdoor letting me know that somebody has posted something that's urgent, needs immediate attention. I got one last week. Uh, somebody's uh, somebody's car got keyed, so an urgent message that's, went out to the urgent. Community. Watch out! the The car keyer is on the loose. <laughs> it's probably that PG and E guy. Mm-hmm. PG and E said there's nobody in the area. Uh, uh, hey, hey, how are you? How are you doing? At uh, are, did you get back into the swing today? Is today like your first day back at work? Yes, I'm totally back in the swing, such as it is. Are you? Yep. Because you're you are um, you rarely give yourself a compliment, but it seems like one thing you feel like you're good at is you're good at getting on vacation. You're good at having time to yourself. Like you you are good at like you have a good clutch. I think that's a Top Gear reference. So you got a good <laughs> clutch. It's not even a real hamster. 
You, but you have the ability to get into vacation mode. Pretty good at vacation. Pretty good at forgetting what day of the week it is, forgetting the date. I forgot it was my birthday on my birthday. Man. Pretty good. That is really, oh, that is good. That is good. My wife forgot too, so we were both doing pretty good at it. Because normally oh, she's the one forget. who remembers that you know, I wake up and she woke up at the same time. She didn't say happy birthday because we'd both forgotten. We both forgot our anniversary. Not forgot, but like overlooked our anniversary. Well, like, I mean, it's not like I didn't know my birthday was coming. It's not like you didn't know your anniversary was coming. But sometimes if you lose track of what the date is, then you don't know. You think, is it tomorrow? Or you always think it's like two days away or at least one day. I also, I also have these, um, these two periods in the uh, end of April and the end of December when there's always this rat king of things, um, like people's birthdays. A lot of, I have a lot of friends with birthdays in late April, and I've had a lot of life events uh, and anniversary-type things at the end of December, and I get really confused about what's what. So it, it's got to be on the calendar, but even then, you kind of space it. Um, so you're back. How are you? How are you doing at being back at work? Is it going okay? Uh, just going the same as always. Yeah, I was hmm. pulled violently back into work. So here I am. You got drops. You got you got inserts. You got. Uh, um, is that what you do? If, if only simpler times. Because you build frameworks for frameworks now, right? You're the unmoved mover. I try to. I yeah, try to. I think that's fascinating. I, I guess I must have known that you did that. I I've, I've known you're a programmer, but. Where did you describe it? Probably one of the times you were interviewed, maybe by Dan, back on the old show. But so that's mostly what you do now. Is you make, you make using mostly Perl. You make frameworks that other people use to make things. You make tools for the tools. Well, mostly I go to meetings. It seems like really. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. man. It's the curse of uh, working for a long time. So you're 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 not just the average bear there. You have some kind of like are you like coordinating? You don't like to talk about your job. Are you coordinating a team? I'm not. Mm-hmm. I don't know that much about. I I know the kind of business that you work for. I know the approximate size of the business that you work for. You t- probably told me once the name, and I don't remember the name. The main thing I remember about where you work is you have to make sure not to leave your screen unlocked or people will screw with your computer. Yeah, but that's like every place. Is that still the thing? Which, people which still... you would know if you had a job, but yeah. Wow, wow. Hmm. No, listen, when uh, when I finally retire, if you're still alive, so, you know, eat healthy, exercise. I'll do what I can, yeah. We can have an epic show about the terrible excuse for a career that I have had. Hmm. But for now, I would like to move on. Okay. A little bit of follow-up from listeners. And once again, as usual, we're forgetting to mention the names, unless you know them, the names of uh, nice people who told us things that we wanted to know. In recent episodes, um, we've talked about the show Soundbreaking, and I was mentioning how I like that. Everybody seems to like it. Did you watch, were you you able to watch one or two on PBS before it went away? Part of being on vacation is, uh, being good at being on vacation is the ability to catch up on things that you never had time to watch. So Uh I watched all of Soundbreaking. In order. Imagine that. <laughs> you don't have to watch them all or in order. It's not as good as it was hyped to be, but it was still worth watching. Yeah. No, I I, I, I was afraid of that. Um, but the reason I mentioned here is uh, apparently, yeah, it did disappear from PBS, but yeah, it apparently is on Hulu. I have linked to that in show notes. Is that, did you watch it on Hulu? No, I found it in other ways. Okay. You, oh, that's right. That's right. Our friend with the lorry. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It was, it was probably, it was overhyped, but, but some of it was, some episodes were definitely way better than others. 
So it was weird that uh, what's his face, uh, George Martin. What, yes, George Martin was both featured in it and also involved in the creation of it, which is kind of weird. Like you put yourself in your thing. Like he he should be in this, but then on the other hand, it's weird for him to make this documentary series and then also to feature himself so little. Like it's it's a I don't know how you you'd walk that line to figure out how important should I one of the most important producers ever be in this thing about music production. Right, and then also produce it, and but it just. Yeah. But my, my main complaint is that it seemed too shallow and scattered. I think I would have preferred it if they either went strict chronological, which they kind of tried to do but didn't really do, or if they went in uh, much deeper into each category, and if they just like did one category on. I mean, they kind of tried to do it, but they had like the going electric episode, but it was all over the map. It wasn't even just yeah. about a guitar to electric guitar or whatever, or just like. Uh, multi-track versus single track like all everything was just all mixed together and it was more like a survey course i feel like i didn't learn as much as i thought i would have because i knew a lot of these things and a lot of these people yeah i i know what you mean you have two episodes that come to mind yeah the one you're describing i don't know maybe maybe i'm more of a geek about this stuff than i realize but like the whole like well let me explain to you how people used to have to sing into the big horn it's like everybody knows that i mean that's and you know or if you're gonna do that i want to know way more about those horns (laughs) like way more than just like yeah you know the one sentence description that you see in a caption under a photo in an encyclopedia that's that's nothing but the one i was really looking forward to that didn't nail it for me was the hip-hop episode it seems so promising especially like to have the RZA there. And it was, um, it, like you say, it felt like a survey course. It, it felt like a um, introduction to appreciating rap music where it's the same old stories about, oh, Puerto Ricans and black people in New York and bit, 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 no, oh, really? You're going to tell me about Rapper's Delay? Like, yeah, I, I mean, I really, I could have I done with way more RZA and Hank Shockley. Like I could have done with way more, like tell me about, way more about Public Enemy or like, you know, yeah, it did feel like a little bit of a gloss, and it did jump around sometimes right when it seemed like it was about yeah. to get they interesting. They had all those people. Like, they had all the best people, but as soon as they start, they said, like, one or two sentences, and then you're off onto the next topic. It's like, but, but... Yeah, have, well, we got, like, we got a picture for this. <laughs> we have a picture we can use here. Yeah. It's like, uh, but But, I mean, it was, you know... Uh, and, and also, I'm not quite sure what the... Like, they tried to theme each episode and give it a title, but it just didn't all hang together for me. So I, I, I enjoyed the bits and pieces of the interviews that were there, and uh, I would still recommend people watching it. But I just, you know, yeah. I wish it could have been better. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, that's always the danger when you really enjoy something. Because you know how it is. Like, you discover something. This is a, a fairly pure example of that. Because I was aware of this and watching it before it was hyped. And then I was, I guess, one of the people hyping it. Not that I've had a giant influence on that. But you know how it is when you discover something on your own. It's so special. And like, wow, this didn't suck. And it was actually really good. And I can't wait to watch the next one. And, you know... There's all kinds of examples of that where, you know, you you get your well, – this kind of gets into the OA a little bit – where you get your interest bone tickled a little bit and, uh, you know, you're you're just so excited because it didn't suck and it actually was kind of maybe better than you expected, you know, especially when it comes to things like production values because as a documentary fan, I mean, you know – the quality of these things differs, you know, so much. And there's, you know, and there's just this, like you say, it's inconsistencies. It's just weird how some parts they really nail and other parts you're like, wow, how did you like leave that so unhemmed? Yeah. In retrospect, I feel like it was too big uh, a topic area to handle in whatever number it was like seven episodes or something. Right. So you should have either narrowed it or had like three times as many episodes. 
Yeah, I mean, another way to spin this is um, I'm thinking of there's a series that was on PBS when I was in mid to late high school. It was called Rock School, and it was a series of interviews. It was kind of about like I think it was fo- it was a PBS series, and it was f- might have been English originally, but it was focused on like we're going to talk to musicians about making music, and it had an, an element, a slightly like kind of educational element. But it was real, real deep on like, this is how you play this part and stuff like that. And, you know, the thing is, if you show that to Jaco Pastorius, he probably would have been like, yeah, yeah, I knew all that. But like for me, when I was like 15, 16, 17, it was a godsend. So I would say like, if you are interested, if you if you aren't super deep catalog on how recording technology has changed in the last 110, 150 years, whatever, like I still think like for a young person, it's probably like still pretty good to catch yeah if you, if you knew survey course it's a, it's a reasonably good survey course the, the the biggest trolling of me that it did though is the the opening scene the first music you hear is a, a riff from a u2 song and then u2 will like basically never be featured again no one from the band will speak even when they get the producers they won't talk about u2 really that's yeah, weird. the first thing they did pride it was that they, the guitar riff from pride played over like the open the literal first bit of music that you hear and then Eight episodes later, you will never hear about that band, which is fine. But like, don't tease me. They Rogue One, you? Oh, yeah, I guess. It <laughs> wasn't even the trailer. It's the first scene. <laughs> um. Also, we are told by a listener that the Rick Burns. Uh, what is the official name of this? Uh, is it New York City a documentary? The Rick Burns uh, New York documentary is available to stream on. I watch it on my Fire TV. I had been watching, the thing is, you got me into this, and I started watching it on YouTube, and then somebody told me that uh, one of our listeners said that it's on Amazon. Well, so what do you call that? The Amazon TV service, Amazon I guess? Amazon Prime Video. Amazon Prime Video. There you go. All right. Um, but I had actually been watching it on, on YouTube, and I, I see why, I really see why you like it. I, I think I, the Robert, is it Robert Caro? Is that the guy's name? Rick Burns. No, who's the, the... Oh, is Robert Caro featured in it? I don't remember. No, who's probably. the power broker guy? What's his name? Oh, uh, Robert Moses. Yeah, but the... the I'm sorry, the author. Yeah, uh, Caro. Yeah. Boy, the segments with him were fantastic. So good. I watched... I, I, I told you I watched... Like, I think I watched three of these, but I one of the ones I watched was the um, Robert Moses episode, and it was great. What an interesting character. You should read that book. It's great. Although uh, half the thing of listening to Robert Caro speak is just to enjoy his accent. For me, it's just like, you know, a warm bath. Oh, he's, yeah, no, I'm sure. I'm sure I could see that. But he, um, he's, um, how do I just, how do I say this without sounding like a dick? Um, he doesn't sound like one of those guys who's in tons of documentaries. It's not Martin Scorsese sitting in a theater. Like, he has, he's a very natural, very good speaker, but he's also a great storyteller without sounding mm-hmm. like he's performing. And uh, uh, it would be worth it for you to probably go back and watch it. I know it's all stuff you already know, but I thought that that one was super interesting. What are the other ones I watched? I watched the first one, uh, which was great. I watched the one about the Dutch. I watched the one about the um, building of the Empire State Building and the Depression. I watched the when they came back and did one on World Trade Centers and 9-11. Wow. Um, and so I guess I watched about four. Um, That's what it says in the show notes here. Watched one, <laughs> comma six, comma and eight. I was just looking at Wikipedia trying to remember which ones I watched. Should have heard the involuntary noise I made when I read that just before we went on the air. That's like six hours. 
Just, why not just watch them in order? Why you, not? Know, you don't have to watch it's, them in order. You just, it's you, chronological. And you know, it's, 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 it's good to start with the Dutch. You, you start, you know, with the first one and then the yeah, Dutch. Hard, and hard-coded uh, Dutch subs. Up. I, know, I understand. Yeah. Um, the first one is really good, though. I like. I mean, I think they do, if a bit heavy-handed, uh, Burns and company do a nice job on basically saying, hey, look, this has always been this city that's all about, you know, on the one hand, diversity, but also about, you know, growth and commerce and kind of like spinning out the story with that particular uh, thread was really interesting. The 9-11 one, though, man, you think you're you think you're ready for that. And you're never really ready for that. Like, I'm not one of those ooh, ooh, 9-11 people, but oh, my God, it's still so hard to watch. So my recollection is I watched the whole series and then there was a gap of time. Yeah, and like then they came years. up with the follow up episode. And so it was like, remember yeah. that thing that you watched? Guess what? It continues. Yeah, I think that's what happened. I think the I think the whole series ran I think in 1999, um, and then oh wait, no, let me get this right. So it might have it might have completed. What am I? Well, I should check my dates. Anyway, it just it did complete before 9/11. Give me a second here. Yeah, okay. So episodes one through five ran on contiguous days in November of 1999. I'm going somewhere with this. So the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, and the 18th of November, 1999, they showed the first five episodes. Episode six, really good. The Depression one is really good. And that's the Robert Moses one, too. Um, that aired on September 30th, 2001. The City in the World, uh, 1945 to 2000, was October 2001. And September 8th, 2003, is when they put out the World Trade Center one, which was also really great because they cover uh, Philippe Petit, you know, the Walk Between the Towers guy, you know, the whole kind of like the crazy history of, you know, building those things. And uh, it was really, really good, really, really tough to watch, but like so well done. Yep. That's my recollection of it. It And it was so heavily advertised on PBS, like in the lead up to it. And then when it came back, like, you know, that i think that second gap now you know where between the november episodes and then the follow-ups i think i remember that as well and then the longer gap and you was like i wonder if they'll have more and they did but it was a bit of a wait oh the like the all the i'm just you know quoting this show but the the battling between laguardia what started out as the sort of uh partnership you know mutually um beneficial partnership between laguardia and robert moses and like how fractured that gets so Mm -hmm. interesting so super interesting you should read that book someday. I mean, you know, I started it. I got like forty pages in. Yeah, that's like yeah. the intro, right? Oh, it's very early on. It would save that for when you retire. Yeah, that'll be my Shakespeare in jail. Right, exactly. La la la. Um, so that's really good. Yeah. So anyway, y'all could watch that. It's really good. It's uh, like seventeen hours. Although someone said the one that's on Amazon Prime is not actually the Rick Burns New York documentary, but another New York documentary. You're watching it on YouTube through random sort of people who uploaded things, and so yeah. you're pretty sure you're getting the Rick Burns thing because it has Rick Burns and giant. It'll say well, it'll say Steeplechase Films at the beginning. That you'll know if it says that. That's the that's the correct one. I'll double check the one that's in notes. I was just speaking of documentaries. I was looking up for uh, the purpose of disseminating to some other people. I got who knows if they're even interested, but uh, I, on vacation we went to uh, a, I don't know what the hell it is. It's not the Air and Space Museum, but it's but it's a big hangar where they have a bunch of cool old planes. Yeah, I got questions about this. Right, and we went there with a bunch of people, and I can't help myself. I'm explaining. Uh, I'm spewing out everything I know about all the planes that I see because I'm excited, right? right? And I mentioned a few times, oh, if you want to learn more about this, everything I'm telling you is from this doc- uh, documentary or 
show I watched on PBS when I was a kid, and I tried to find copies of it. And one of them was the uh, the Nova episode, Battle of the X Planes, where they talk about the competition to see who's going to win the contract to bin to build what will be the Joint Strike Fighter and what will be decades later a trillion dollar boondoggle. Oh um, wow! That that is a great episode. Uh, and so I go to the website, and there's a web page for it, and you can buy it online somehow. Probably they'll send you a VHS tape or something, and you can read the transcript online. But you can't watch the episode online. But if you go to YouTube and search for it, you can find 500 terrible copies of it, all of which are either only part one or only part two, and have audio only out of the left channel and all sorts of other things. So I wish I could just find a good place to get it online rather than having to order a plastic disc. But that is one I would recommend you watching because it is small, bite-sized, single episode. Well, maybe it's two episodes, like okay, two one-hour episodes of Nova. Battle of the x It drives me nuts. Um, what is... The name of this one documentary that I adore, Jesco White, the Dancing Outlaw. Uh, now that is a hell of a thing. And, you know, it's this, my, my friend Leslie Harpold had a copy of this and we would watch it together. She felt a great affinity uh, for this documentary uh, about this guy from West Virginia who's a famous, like, uh, like a clogging, like tap dancer guy. He's the son of like one of the most famous tap dancers of all time in um, the Appalachians. And, um, and it's amazing, and it's so freaking weird, and it's just one of those like, how did this ever get made, kind of things. But it's like it wasn't anywhere, and I finally had to go to the filmmaker's site and buy some kind of janky ass download, and I had to go watch it in this one particular app, and like it was, it just I don't know, it just sucks. There's there's so much great stuff where like if you want to go watch, you know, my favorite uh, Frontline Merchants of Cool, like if you can go dig it up and go find it online, it's like the size of a freaking postage stamp. Like if you want to look at it. Yeah, it just drives me nuts. There's so much great stuff out there, and it seems like I bet a lot of it has to do with rights, you know, and um, everybody wanting to get paid, you know, years later. If, if you know, if Frontline suddenly decides to throw up an HD version of that, I, you know, Malcolm Gladwell is going to probably want his cut. Turns yeah, out, I, I, I feel like the PBS things are just are not correctly uh, estimating the value of having a complete catalog because Nova has so many episodes you can watch online. Going back to the year that Battle of the Explains was on, which I think was like 2003 or something, right? It's not like they don't have a back catalog. It's not like they don't have a lot of videos. They just don't have this one. And why are they picking and choosing? The difference between you can watch every episode of Nova except for like the current season online, and you can watch some episodes of Nova for every year for the past decade is big because it's like, why bother having 200 episodes that you can stream online for free? But just like pick and choose and skip over a bunch. And again, unless there's some sort of reason, but it's just maybe that's some, that one is popular and they should buy it. But if you go to the page where you can buy it, it directs you to the new site that, you know, visit our new fancier site that doesn't look like it was made in 1992. Yeah. And you go to the new fancier site and you can't even find that episode at all, including to buy it. So yeah, they're, they're being foolish for either not selling them all or, you know, not putting them all on a streaming service that you have to pay for or just not giving them all for free. Well, I suspect there's there's a very simple Occam's razor going on here, which which is just about silos, where, I mean, there's the silos of how the content was um, funded and licensed. And I'll just bet you that, like, you think about all those those credit cards you see at credit cards. What's the term for that? You know, John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Or you see, you know, the National Endowment for the Arts. I, I bet starting right there, there's probably some prohibitions on how you can use and sell that stuff. That's probably pretty onesie twosie from, you know, property to property, video to video. Think about the WKRP problem. There might be music in some of those that's difficult to license. Um, I just, I, I think on the one hand, you've got all the siloing of how you deal with all this old content or stuff that, you know, that's not under some kind of current license. 
Then you got the whole, and I, it sounds like you're kind of discounting this a little bit, but then you got the whole complexity of like, who's going to rip that and get it in the right place and put it in the right place and where's that going to be hosted? But then you've also got the other silo problem, which is like, I don't think there's one PBS webmaster. Like, it seems like there's still, like you say, there's a lot of these sites and you can tell, like, like going to your X-Plane site, it definitely bear, it has that look. Did you go and look at this? It's got the fixed width and the little tiny fonts. Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. But didn't you see the slide down banner in the upper left corner that says, go check out the new Nova site? Mm. Like, it doesn't want you to be on. That's the old Nova site. Yes, and I remember that Battle of the X-Planes page from oh, years and go. years ago. Okay. But it's obviously, you're right, it's like a fixed width website with, like, graphic text, and it looks terrible. It's a terrible-looking website. And it wants you to go to the new one where it has tons of video for you to watch, just not this episode. Yeah. Yeah, I bet they're resource constrained. And then, you know, what was the other one I was looking at? I was trying to find something, remember, an episode or two ago, and it was just this crazy Drupal site um, that was, you just, it, I couldn't get any video to load. I turned off all the shields and I still couldn't get anything to load. It is a bummer, though, because PBS, I mean, at least in my head, feels like such a resource. It's like old grandpa, uncle P- PBS. And like, I, I really, I really wish that stuff was still out there. But, you know, it's, in a lot of ways, it's just another TV channel. It's not like it's the Library of Congress. I mean, they, they have to negotiate and pay for things like everybody else. Anyway, you should have that to your list and find it somewhere. And and remember, this was, I think, 2003-ish. This is about battle among to defense contractors to see who is going to get the contract to make this new fighter plane that they will explain at length, like why the government wants this new fighter plane and what planes it's replacing and all that stuff. But way before it became a multi-decade, trillion-dollar terrible project that is consuming all taxpayer money and not producing a working plan so it's fun to watch it not you know we know now how this is going to turn out but the thing is making it sound like this is the most important thing that that the government is doing in terms of aviation and these two companies are it's just it's a great episode i I wish they would do a follow-up of like right 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 and and then what happened because there's so much more to the story but it's, it's a fascinating if you just pretend history stopped at the end of this episode it's also great I love that kind of story. I love both those kinds of stories. I love the kind of story you're describing that is kind of like a space race, you know, type thing. I love that stuff. But then the turns out follow up. Ooh, big fan. Love those. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Ministry of Supply. You can learn more about Ministry of Supply right now by visiting ministryofsupply.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Listen to me. Hear my words. We all know what it's like to spend over 40 hours a week in uncomfortable work clothing. These clothes are restrictive and unbreathable. Not to mention that by the end of the day, they're all wrinkled too. Gross. And this is what Ministry of Supply fixes. They make performance clothes for the modern day workplace. Launched by MIT engineers, Ministry of Supply combines human-centric research, performance technology, and tailored design to create wear-to-work clothes for men and women, like dress shirts, blouses, and pants. Or, uh, as you say in, in the UK, trousers. Their garments work with your body. They work with your body to provide maximum comfort, combined with features like temperature control, wrinkle resistance, and extreme stretch. Extreme stretch to give you a sharp professional look all day long let's just take one example here and let's look at ministry of supplies future forward dress shirt this thing is dynamite it has nasa invented fibers that regulate body temperature based on your surroundings now here's the thing i own and wear this very model and i I love it it's slim it's trim it's sexy and maybe a modern classic it makes me look smart and employed and potentially lovable i think it's the best i mean come on nasa give me a break it's the best 
Ministry of Supply also makes socks now, too. The Smarter Dress socks are made of coffee, fi- coffee, fiber, f- coffee fiber that wicks sweat and absorbs odor. They provide extreme cushion with more padding than gym socks. Talk about living in the future, am I right? Ministry of Supply offers free shipping, free returns, and a 100-day, no-questions-asked return policy. Jiminy Christmas, you've got to go find out more right now. You go to ministryofsupply.com slash diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S, and you'll get a free pair of moisture-wicking Smarter Dress socks with your first purchase. Nothing wrong with that, so please go ministryofsupply.com slash diffs to find out more. Or, hey, here's, here's an idea. Visit any of their nine retail stores in locations including San Francisco, Atlanta, and Chicago, and go in and mention the show. I bet they're really nice. Our thanks to Ministry of Supply for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. I watched the, uh, I watched the OA all the way through. Uh, don't skip. Don't skip. Merlin has jury duty. I don't know why. Again. Why don't we tell you these things? I don't know why I put it in here. The world needs to know. The world needs to know. Uh, nobody knows the trouble you've seen. Here's the thing. Nobody knows your sorrows. You as the listener. I'm not talking to you, John, here. I'm speaking to our audience. I, I don't like to do that. But I know people as the listener of my programs are tired of hearing about me being on jury duty. Imagine what it's like for me. I'm on jury duty again because here's the thing. When I dodged that bullet... Back in Italy, November, whenever it was, I dodged the bullet where I almost had to be on the attempted murder trial for like two months. They they, they gave me a um, what's it called? I got I got a stay of execution where they basically said, okay, you're gonna have to come back in January. But I still have not resolved the problem of being registered twice. I'm kind of hoping that I can go in and say, look, I've been coming in an awful lot because you have me registered twice. I don't think it's gonna matter. I'm gonna go in. I'll be a man. <laughs> I'll go in. I, I will do my do my jury duty, but I want jury duty again. My, my friends who are lawyers find this unbelievable. Yeah, it seems like you you'd be more motivated to resolve this double registration thing, but you only appear to be addressing it when going in for jury duty, which is the, the last time they want to hear anything about that from you. Probably. Have you made a lot of calls to a government office recently? You got to go there in person. You can't make calls. You got to go in person. You got you got a glad hand. You got to smile smile at the people. Well, I last time I tried, you're, you're probably right. Last time I tried to address this over the phone, I got somebody that sounds, it sounded like somebody who would be rejected from a sketch comedy as a, as a character because he, it's such a broad character. But this guy was having a lot of problems. Uh, it was very, very difficult. And so eventually he realized that uh, uh, he could give me the information that this seemed to be something where I existed as as two addresses, but he was not able to fix it, and he wasn't exactly sure where I would go to fix it. So that's where I am now. Yeah, that's why you just got to show up. You, you're, show you're, up gonna where? It's going to be a day of it. At where do you show up? Where do you show I up? You just go know. to the government office? Hello, government office. You can find a place to go. And oh. find a, it's going to be, you know, you just there's no way around it. There's going to be multiple days. Take advantage of your flexible schedule oh by spending God. a few afternoons talking to people in government buildings. My, I'm very, I'm very time this. constrained, John. I have a lot of time constraint in my mm-hmm, life. Mm-hmm. I got to get it worked out. I'll get it fixed after this. All right. Well, I mean, and that's also weird. That's the state thing where, like, where you you don't get picked for a jury, but it gets gets. But then they say oh, you got to come back in January. That doesn't sound like the one person, one jury, and then we won't call. Our state is like, a, you know, one day you go in for one day, and either they they call you or they don't. But that's your one day. Of course, if they call you, you're spending way more than a day. But if they don't call you, that's it. That was your one day. Yeah. And then they won't bother you again for X number of years, where X is like two or three. I forget. Everybody I know. Everybody I know, that's what happens. I, I, I'm the exception. 
But that's like the law in my state. Obviously not the law in your state because they keep calling well, you. Well, the video that they run says that's how it works. They mainly tell you, tell you about what an invigorating experience it's going to be to be on jury duty. How lucky you are. How for, really fortunate you are to get to do mm-hmm. it. But uh, yeah, I'll go. I'll go do my thing. I'll go. And then I'll, I'll, I'll get it fixed. I got a lot of things to do, John. So that's it. That's all I've got, I think, for, uh, for follow-up. There's other kinds of media-related follow-up. You got, you got anything, uh, anything you want to share? Oh, did you, uh, did you, I sent you, I sent you a copy of, uh, Sherman's March. So, uh, that's, that's. I think you did, but I'm not sure you actually did. Oh. Because I remember you saying that, but I don't have any evidence that that took place, which is fine, because I probably wouldn't watch it anymore. I know, I know. Well, the joke's not as funny if you didn't get it. Huh. Yeah, well, I I think I talked you out of it in the process of doing it. No, you tried, you tried. But then I don't think you actually clicked the buttons, because I didn't get anything. Not that you should, you should just just leave it. 1221. Bought a copy of uh, A New Hope, Golden Compass, Workouts Plus Plus, Paystot, and Sherman's March. Mm, I don't know. Yeah. I'll check again. I'll no, it's okay. It's okay. It was, I'll it was eventually mainly a get stunt. to it on, on my next vacation. No, it was a stunt gift. It was a stunt gift. I, I knew that going in. I'm glad the guy's going to you know, get a little money from it. Yeah, I assume. And, the, and you mentioned the OA, and I think we'll, we'll move that down to the spoiler slot, too. Okay. I'm hmm. trying to coin that as a thing. Spoiler, spoiler slot. slot. Yeah, <laughs> slot, spoiler slot, spoiler slot. That that is hard to say. That sounds like a Marvel superhero. Spoiler slot. They always got uh, repeated consonants in their names. The spoiler by Matt Slot. Yeah, I know. Matt Slot. Matt Slot. Dan Slot. Dan Slot. Matt Slot. There's one of those slots. Dan Slot. Matt Fraction. Dan Slot. All right. Well, same guy. Close enough. Close yep. enough. <sighs> I didn't eat enough today. I had a lot of cold cuts this afternoon, but I didn't really eat dinner. No way to do that. Yeah, I don't know why. You know, I I gotta get my life figured out, John. I got I gotta I gotta get it figured out. Okay, so um, you call it. We gotta go, uh, dad stuff. Yes. I don't know what this is, but I like this. I like this a lot. You know what it is. Uh, you, you know. know. You know. <laughs> you live. You live it. You know what you did. This is this topic is about dad jokes, dad jeans, dad things. And I put this in there a long time ago. Probably, like many of the things that are in our topic list, in a fit of, in a fit of something, in indignity, um, <laughs> indignity, right? Because the the dad thing has been around for a very long time. I don't know how long, but decades or just recent years. But I, I think it's ramped up recently uh, in recent years. Uh, specifically dad jokes. Is it just because I'm the age of, uh, you know, I'm I'm around the age of dads and now I'm seeing more dad jokes? What do you think? Is it, Or have has the dad joke thing ramped up? This is totally a new thing, or totally a recent thing. Um, if anything, you'd hear about mom jeans, which was a joke on yeah. Saturday Night Live, but also something that people said. In the 80s? Mom jeans in the 80s, right? Yeah, well, might have been later. I think it was a Tina Fey uh, thing. Yeah, maybe 90s. But yeah, but it was, um, yeah, those kind of like super high-waisted, like acid-washed, you know mom jeans when you see them. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, man, this whole dad X stuff, I think that is fairly recent. I The idea of like these these terrible, uh, God, how do you describe a dad joke? I think dad joke really feels like something from the last five years. Right. I'm trying to think of other things like this. Like I told you in my house, there's a thing we call my dad hat. There's mm-hmm. dad things, but I don't remember this being a a bit uh until recently 
dad hat is not new. My dad had a hat, and I, I don't think we called it a dad hat, but if you had said that, I would have known exactly what hats you're talking about, right? And this is post-hat-wearing generation, because my parents' parents, you know, right. legit wore hats to go places, and then that went away, and that was weird for your dad to have had, and it was a dad hat. Um, but yeah, the dad jokes, I think I was getting indignant about and added to the things, because... You know, as one of the most oppressed groups in the entire United States, mm-hmm. a white man, <laughs> yeah. as I'm led to believe, um, it's like, wait a second. Why are these, wh- why is dad joke an insult? And why are all these jokes, why are you deciding that they are dad jokes? And what defines a dad joke? Should I feel bad about making a dad joke? Should I be insulted that you are labeling my joke as a dad joke or using that label to tell someone else that their joke is bad? Right? Yeah. And I was trying to think about like the origins of dad joke and what people really mean when they say dad joke. Because it's it's, it's not, it's not, I mean, I think on the face of it, a dad joke is to use some old words. It's corny. It's often, it often involves a pun. But I think the other part that makes it, and the thing is, I'll see these like these on like Twitter moments. They'll be like, "Hey, check out these these hilarious dad jokes," and it's like something they said in Twitter that's like teasing. I think this, the other thing about a dad joke is that there's a part of it that's really corny, and then there's another part or a groaner, as we would say, in a, in, a, in a different time. But then there's usually also some kind of like I don't know what, like a, like a, like a teasing thing or a deliberately trying to embarrass you thing. Is that the other part or, of the yeah, A certain amount of uncoolness, like like by design. Yeah, and so my yeah, yeah, yeah. my more positive spin of dad jokes when I was when I was at peak indignity about dad jokes many years ago. What I would have tweeted but didn't because I am better at restraining myself on Twitter than I am on podcasts was well two things. First, somewhat I think the people making the dad jokes are not really making fun of dads. They are acknowledging the thing I'm about to say, and and that's part of the reason I didn't tweet it, because I give them a pass, because I understand their side of things, and it's not it's not aggressively mean. But on the, on the dad side of things, as far as I can tell, as a dad, and having observed dads making dad jokes, which I think I don't make a lot of, by the way, but I, I, I'm sure I have, and I've seen people do it, is that the, the origin of dad jokes, why dads, why dads make these jokes to their kids? Like, is that, they're not making dad jokes to other adults for the most part. They're making them to their kids. Is is a way for parents to try to engage with their children who are no longer as interested in them as they used to be when they were very tiny. Because your kids get older, you become less interesting and less cool in their eyes, but you want to them to be interested in you and to like you, and you want to make them smile and happy. And a lot of the things you use to do that are several years behind where they are developmentally, right. uh, but still might make them laugh. So you will make corny jokes and teasing things that, that you know, that it's like the jingling keys, you know, but not that far back. Mm-hmm. Things that they used to find hilarious, now they find less hilarious, but you want your children to find you hilarious because most of the time they spend rolling their eyes at you and you're like, we used to be buds and pals let me just make you laugh again. And they will laugh because they're like, oh, dad, you're such a dork. Mm-hmm. And that makes you do it even more. And eventually, if you're not careful and you're one of these dad-joking dads, that becomes your shtick and your relationship with your child as they age. You keep making dad jokes and they keep rolling their eyes but still smiling at them and saying, oh, dad. And you're like, well, at least 
we still have this connection. So it's like it's a desperate attempt by dads to remain connected to their kids who are aging away from them. And so it's both tragic and endearing, I think, from from the dad's perspective. And I think the kids ridicule it as a form of acknowledging, it's, it's basically saying, oh, look at my dad. He loves me so much. He makes corny jokes to try to connect with me. And it's silly, but I also find it adorable. How, how many, you know, kids as they are embarrassed by their parents in bad moments, but in good moments find their parents, quote unquote, adorable. Sort of a condescending way to say, I tolerate you old non-hip person and your ways because I understand what you're doing with these dad jokes is trying to connect to me and you're failing miserably because you don't understand modern pop culture right. and you're rooted in whatever, but I appreciate the effort. Uh, and so that's... That's how I feel about dad jokes. I don't know if I'm missing something. I don't know if I'm, I'm, you know, mapping my own things on it. But like I, said, I don't think I make too many dad jokes. I make some, but I don't think I'm, I'm far from the worst. Well, dad it's, it's a very. I feel like the way, like so many things that get you know shoved in your face online. It's first of all, I don't. I'm not sure people always know precisely what they mean when they say it. I think it's it's kind of if it's an easy, lazy. Um, seemingly um softball insult which it mostly is i'm I'm not i honestly i don't feel like i have that much of a a dog in this fight but but there uh, to to your point though one point where i really do agree and i'm very reluctant to say this because i would rather that younger people wait to find this out uh themselves when so because it would be more painful but fortunately, no matter what I say, they won't hear it because they think they'll be young forever and that they think that they have something special about them because they're young. The only thing that's special about young people is they can get away with a lot more because they're young and uh, they haven't realized that they're not as cool as they think either. Um, everybody thought they were cool when they were young. Almost everybody. Maybe not you. Wow. Well, yeah. yeah. But, but, here's, but the funny thing is, the, that, the, that's what I think is, you know, if we are going to you know, talk about dad jokes as a thing, and I don't know if I make that many dad jokes. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I do with my you daughter. You make more than me, I can guarantee. Mm, in, you make more than me to me. You make more dad jokes on this show than I do in real life. I can't think of examples of that. I'll, I'll let you know next time. All right. Thanks. Hit a bell. But, um, I mean, something I... And again, I hate saying this to young people. I'm sorry. I really hate to spoil this for you because it's going to be so much more meaningful. Maybe it's going to be meaningful when you've heard it a thousand times and you still <laughs> having realized. You're so right. You you can't you can't spoil it. They won't believe you. Just go ahead. Okay. Um, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. I mean, I roughly. Know. I mean, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what specifically what I'm going to talk about. You know the concept that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. which is that you don't understand that the aberration is youth. Youth is the aberration. It feels like youth is normal because that's all you've ever known. But I can tell you, I've met a lot of people that are younger than me, and I've met a lot of people who are older than me. And the thing that I I think becomes inescapable is that youth is the aberration. Um, That is the blip. It feels, and also because of the way time goes when you're younger, there's so many things you're so wrong about, and you have no idea. And and I know you don't believe me, and that's okay. But but here's one thing um, that, to your endearing point. Is that, and I, I, I know what you're talking about when you say like, oh, you know, you're, you're desperately reaching out to like try to make the person laugh or whatever. But the thing is, do you think your dad doesn't know that he's a dingling? Do you, do you think he doesn't know that he's being silly? That's the point is like your, your dad or whomever in that particular case is deliberately allowing themselves to be cannon fodder so you can seem cool. That's part of the fun. 
Part of the fun is coming in and being a dork at the sleepover or whatever, because now I know they're going to make fun of me. That's why I'm there. If I was there to try and impress nine-year-old girls, that would be weird. No, I, I'm, I'm there to be silly. I don't want to embarrass my daughter, but if she wants to lead the razzing of me, I fully support that. That's, that's being a dad, is that you are there. You are, you are there to take every blow in stride. <laughs> and that's, so part of the, like, the, the, see, I just feel like the way people use dad joke is just really lazy, lazy and dumb a lot of the time, the way they use that term. But in terms of the part you're talking about, I'm right there with you. You know, I um, but I feel like that is a, that is part of my role. Like, I, I, again, I don't want to embarrass the child, but I also realize that a big role of, of what I have to do is to not try so what else am i going to do am i, am I going to try to act cool and make her feel bad like you know <laughs> mention indie rock bands she's never heard of and make her feel bad about it no that's not my job that's not what i'm there for yeah that, that you, another pop culture thing you're seeing a lot of movies have the example of the dad who not the dad who doesn't make dad jokes because that's not the qualifier but the, the example you gave like the dad who comes into a gathering uh of you know his child's peers and is charming and cool. And that is the worst thing you can do to your child. Especially your daughter. Right. Because they don't want all their friends to think you are awesome and cool because that they feel like that diminishes them. Um, And I, I think part of the reason they can't increasingly as the kids get older into adolescence, can't relate to dads being dorks is like, it starts to be, it be, you know, we've all been in high school. It starts to become your whole world. The, the idea of you wanting to uh, not impress your peers, but or look good in front of your peers, not in such a sort of craven way, but in general, having the approval of your peers, whoever mm-hmm. they may be, whoever you decide your peers are, to or at the very least to just fit in with them. And the idea that someone would willingly go into a group and not even make an attempt at that, in fact, do the opposite, seems laughable. Um, but it is freeing in the way you described and that now they are free to, I mean, in, in the terrible sort of clicky way that children do, like if, if they can find a common enemy, it will unite them. And if it's another one of their peers, it's terrible. But if it's you as a parent, you're like, well, fair game, right? <laughs> so they, if, right. if they're all going to giggle and laugh at how dorky you are, that is preferable to the, for them, uh, to, to them, uh, beating up on the weird person in school but it's the same instinct the instinct to feel safe in a group with a common not enemy but with a common thing to ridicule yeah like often a teacher but you know you think about um i don't say just kids but i mean i think i think a common theme if you think about remember um i think there's a phrase we've used several times on here the phrase uh, pulling it off right so like you've got when you let's just say look at something like junior high or you know, I guess high school, but especially junior high, and you can really tell when one of your peers is like throwing a certain shape and not pulling it off. Like, and there's something on the there's something double desperate about somebody trying to pull off a certain thing and not pulling it off and thinking they're pulling it off. It's the basis for a lot of humor. It's why the British Office is so funny, right? But like. The thing is, though, you want to be able... Now you're going to ridicule that person. You really... That's a very common thing is now you're going to single them out because there's nothing that makes you more of a loser than like trying to be a cool kid, not pulling it off like you are so laughable. But like part of the the dad thing, though... And again, that gets played out in different ways. You get something like... um, 
you know, Michael J. Fox's father in Back to the Future and stuff like that, who's like, who I think is just so wonderfully portrayed. I mean, he just nails that character. But, um, but like, what if you're not throwing a shape and you're not trying to pull it off? That's, that's, I don't know if it's disarming. It might be just annoying. But like, what if, what if you're like, like, you know, and then maybe what if the thing you're choosing to do is like you, yeah, maybe you're, you're being a little bit silly on purpose, but like you're, if you're not trying to be cool dad, you're not trying to be like, you know, hip dad. I don't know. I, I think that's, I mean, unless you, I guess you, you could make yourself comically ridiculous for your, ch- for your, for your children's uh, amusement. But, but, but that moves into embarrassment. You don't actually want to embarrass them because then no. it becomes like you become a liability to be associated with it. It's, just, it's a fine line. But even but getting back to what I was saying in the beginning, even if it's just one on one with your child, I do feel like parents' ability to relate to and especially entertain their children always necessarily lags behind where their children are because they're growing and changing so fast. And your old games and tricks, you have more of an attachment to them than they do. Your old nicknames for your kids. I mean, recently, my nine-year-old daughter has been getting on me when I talk to her one-on-one. No one else is there. We are alone in the house, and I refer to, you know, something, uh, you know, I think mommy put it in the other room. She says, Dad, she's my mom, not my mommy. She's too old for me to refer to her mother as mommy when it's just the two of us alone in the house. Mm-hmm. I can't refer to myself as daddy. Again, she's not in front of anybody. So this is the level she's at. Wow. I'm still wow. Calling- that's, that's way ahead of where we are. And I'm still calling her pet names that I called her when she was a little pink football, right? Yeah, so right. so I, it's difficult for me to, to let go of this. But yeah, so I, for me, most of the silly things that I say to my daughter that make her roll her eyes are things that have worked in the past uh, when it's just the two of us. And, you know, and once I see that they work in a new way, they work in an eye-rolling way, but she still smiles, I don't give them up. They're still good. They just work in a different way. Before, she would be legitimately tickled. Now she is embarrassed, embarrassed slash tickled, whatever you want to call it. Right, um, right, right. And so I keep doing it. Uh, in fact, I may do it more, but I do try to also relate to her at the level she's at. I try to keep up with all the things she did. But as she learns things that I don't know and absorbs culture that I'm not absorbing and talks to her peers that I, you know, I'm not relating to, she's necessarily going to diverge and she's going to, you know, use slang that I don't understand and do all that other stuff. So. I think this is an inevitability of not just, we're just calling it dads because we're two guys in this podcast, but all this all applies to moms as well. I'm assuming um, keep going back to the things that we know, uh, even as our children outpace us in, in their own culture. But and that's, their that's own what touchstones. we're, that's what we're, I feel like unless I'm really missing something big, I mean, that's, that's what we're there for. I mean, we're, we're not there to like have a chalk talk, about I, I I don't know I just I part of it is also I'm just I'm struggling and I um I, hmm. I I'm I'm also trying to figure out and this is maybe a, a young person's game but I'm trying to figure out like what the insult about the uh, dad because I mean, personally I'm not I don't I don't I guess I do make more dad jokes than I think but I'm not a fan of that genre I'm not a big fan of puns personally but I'm also trying to figure out like in the absence of what you're calling dad jokes like what what is funny. To the person who calls something a dad joke, is 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 it weird? Twitter is that their idea of funny? Like what what is funny to that person? Do you know what yeah, I mean? So within the adult to adult world, putting kids aside here was just yeah. a bunch of supposed adults talking to each other on Twitter, and someone calls someone else's thing a dad joke. What they're trying to say there is your humor is not sophisticated enough for your audience. In the same way that when your kid 
rolls her eyes at you because you've made a joke that would have been appropriate when she was five, but is now not appropriate when she's seven. They're saying you've made a joke that would be appropriate for someone who is not an adult, but we are all adults here. So I'm going to tell you that your joke is a dad joke, which might be funny if we were five, but we're not five. And you knew we weren't five. So you mm-hmm. just you you have used unsophisticated humor. We are more intelligent than your joke. You think you're funny, but you're really not. And we are not amused. So stop with your dad jokes. Is it also it ob- it's also obvious jokes, though, right? It is sometimes a dad joke is an is it like a, an obvious like, like a groaner, like you said, like where, where it's just like, uh, yeah, even if it's not obvious or even if you hear it, you're like it's the simplest, simplest, most basic. It's not sophisticated enough. Your humor is not sophisticated enough. Uh, we're telling you that you are dumb. We're telling you that you think you're funny, but we don't think you're funny. And so that way it's a very adult in or at least, you know adolescent insult and it's like we are your peer group and we are rejected it's like when you try to make a, ju- a joke in a group of your peers and nobody laughs that does not go away when you become an adult if you try to make a joke at, at a party with a bunch of adults and everyone sits there with straight faces your joke has failed and you feel bad and they may be nice about it because they're hopefully adults and will someone will do a politeness laugh and try to make you feel not so bad and won't be as cutthroat as teenagers are uh but either way it's still a thing you don't like so dad joke hurled as an insult i mean it's perhaps the weakest of insults because like really who cares but uh, wielded between adults i think that's what they're going for but i again getting back to when i was feeling indignant about it i was like that's not an insult because dad's making actual dad jokes is one of the most noble and heartfelt things a dad can do a true a true like a, a true a dad joke in the, in the in the sense that you're describing it not not just a, a groaner groaner pun yeah, but like, even an unsophisticated joke made from dad to child is is a beautiful thing and is uh is motivated by pure and good things and in actuality and execution is part of the bonding process between a, a father and child and so to try to use it as an insult is incredibly misguided as far as i'm concerned yeah <laughs> Can I, I, I mean, it, it surprised me how indignant I was like, hey, I'm a dad and you don't understand jo- dad jokes person using that term on the internet. Let me explain to you what dad <laughs> joke, which is totally a dad thing to do or maybe just a me thing to do. Um, and, and that extends to, like I said, dad genes and stuff like that. It, that starts to go into like straight up on coolness. Like, dad, you're old. You're not cool. You're not hip. You wear things that are not in style. You wear things that were in style in the 70s because that's the last time you bought new clothes. And, you know, so just general uncoolness. And that that changes more into, like, depending on who you are as an adult. Some adults still care about being cool. Some have given up on it. And some, like me, you know, abandoned it in childhood. So those type of insults where you're wearing dad jeans or you have a dad hat on or people make fun of people wearing fleeces. It's like, you know, I'll own that, whatever. That's yeah. Know, but there's also, go. now that I really get to thinking about it, you think about, um, when you're hanging out with other families at like a school event or like a family event, there's definitely like, like certain dad costumes, where you get like you get dad shorts. Let's say you know, mm-hmm. the typical like middle aged dad outfit. This is not probably you or me, but like I think of like a guy in like khaki shorts maybe with like a sports shirt or a polo shirt. The dad hat to me is usually it's some kind of a sun hat that's usually like a tan color because I burn really easily, so I wear a dad hat. But you take those and then maybe you add what like wearing sandals or something like that, or or you know or even just wearing. 
you know, just wearing like running shoes, like as you say, children's shoes. Yeah, that that's that's the modern one. Although when my when you know when I was a kid, my dad that was the sandals uh, with socks era. Do you remember that era? Oh yeah, and that was all. That was oh boy, that was a dad look, definitely. Yeah. And my my dad did it, and I would have called it a dad look. And but now now you're right. The modern one is slightly different. You know, children's shoes is definitely part of it. But you know. The, you're describing the well-dressed dad. You're describing the dad with the khaki shorts and, and well. And, and the and reason I'm shirt. describing it is, I think also, I mean, like, first of all, like, why would you ever try? Don't try to make a child happy. That's not your job. Your job is not to make a child happy. Like, um, but, <laughs> but in this case, like, you know, what else? To me, that there's a reason that's like a dad uniform, which like is is that that or that there are certain dad uniforms besides like, you know, evening wear, business wear. And what you wear to sleep in or what you wear to go to the bathroom or something like that, right? But there's like this pretty well-established uh, sartorial vocabulary for somebody who's, you know, a, a dad with kids. And what I'm going to propose is that the things that make those dad things are that there's a certain kind of there's a look that's going to be like dignified enough for the other grown-ups that are there. Um, and it's not going to be... It's not going to, you're not wearing like a freaking Frankie goes to Hollywood shirt or something. You're not going to wear something that might like embarrass your family. You're always going to embarrass your family. You can't stop that. Your kids are always going to be embarrassed by you no matter what. But I think you're embarrassing within normal parameters. And that, that, if you that's, look like the other dads, that's, I mean, that's the thing. If you look like the other dads, whatever, whatever culture and, and social strata you're in. And, oh, you know, like, it's, it's so well defined. Like in our family, like golf shirt, like those longer sleeved, like a short sleeve shirt, but like those longer sleeves, usually like, uh, like khaki shorts, maybe with a cuff and then like those moccasins, you know what I mean? Like those like slip on like moccasin shoes or like a, like a, like a top sider. That, that's definitely like a look in our family. And I think there's also the utilitarian dad look, which is uh, accessorizing with things that are part of the workaday world of being a parent. So that probably the best example of that is any kind of fanny pack. If you're in a sort of, you know, amusement park environment or, sure. or hiking or anything where you know you're going to have to carry a bunch of things and it's not quite socially acceptable for you to have a purse, but you want to ca- like it's just util- like your hat, like your son hat. It's like in certain environments, you you learn quickly that like. Stop worrying about how you look. You're going to have to carry a certain amount of things. Kids say they're going to carry things that never actually will. So factor oh, yeah, that this, in. Well, yeah, you, uh, you dress yes. for your own utility. Like, I need something to, someplace to put stuff. So give me a, a fleece, a backpack, and a fanny pack. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And I, I again, I, I hate to reveal these arcane secrets to people who won't be able to appreciate them. But, you know, when you go to an amusement park, you're generally not going because you want to be there. You're going because you'd like, you're, you know, your kid wants to go and you'd like to be there. And if you accept the, you can have fun, but like the fun that you have is going to be a reflection of what your kid gets to do. This is what it means to be a parent versus just being an adult who happens to have a child. Like there's a distinction. And like part of being a parent is that you go there to be a pack mule, to have the dorky backpack, to have the hat so that you don't get sunburned so you can make it through the whole day of doing whatever they feel like, even if it's really inconvenient and expensive. Like that's your job. And like mm-hmm. you're there, if you just start by beginning beginning this by going like, I'm basically a pack mule with a checkbook, that's a good place to start because that's, that is what you are. Like, you can try to be a lot more than that. On a good day, you might be. And I'm not saying this from a place of, like, abject sadness. I'm saying I think that is a really realistic way to look at yourself is, like, what? and I'm not great at this, believe me. But, like, what do I do to get in front of making this a good event for everybody, troubleshoot what I can, and just and try to have the de minimis amount of fun everybody expects, and then also try and figure out a way to do, like, a surprising fun thing that they didn't expect. And, like, and then you just, you know, you're the giving tree for the rest of the day. That's, that's your job. 
If stuff needs to be moved and carried, it will be moved and carried by you. If somebody needs to go like wait in the sun for this line, guess what? That's going to be you. That's your job. So that's how you end up uh, like me recently, uh, you know, walking 45,000 steps in a day in August in Orlando, wearing a backpack full of the belongings of two other children uh, in the scorching heat. Mm -hmm. I went through it. I went through it in, uh, in Anaheim. And at the end of the day, you're happy that everything went well. Yep. Yep. And you didn't, you know, you didn't go on a single ride. (laughs) You just (laughs) stood around, you took pictures, you melted into the asphalt because it's a bajillion degrees. Like you don't, you have uh, explored new realms of sweat generation in the giant contact patch between the huge heavy backpack and your back. Amazing realms of sweat that you have not, you've not visited until you've been in Orlando in August. Uh, and yet, at the end of the day, you feel like a good day. We did. You it. also like this is this is one that does not come. In. Now we're just getting the strict, I guess, straight up dad stuff. But like the other one that like was has been very difficult for me just because of my personality is to be what I will call the inconvenience sink, uh, as in like a heat sink. Like I I don't like I like any American white male i don't like being inconvenienced i don't like having to do dumb stuff just because that's the thing that has to be done but that really is the role that you assume a lot of the time you know what i mean is is that and to do that gladly has not always been easy for me because i want to have fun like anybody else i don't want to stand in the sun but uh but i mean that's if you're not noticing that that somebody whether it's a dad or otherwise if you're not noticing that somebody in your family is doing that or that five people are doing that in your family they're probably doing a pretty good job. Like, you know what I mean? Well, kids aren't going to know. Kids aren't supposed no, to. No, they're not. They won't. They won't until it's too late to matter. But, uh, but you know, that's, that's, that's the job. But yeah, no, I, I, I think so much of the dad stuff, I mean, that, that's what, hang on, maybe I'm coming from the, from the wrong angle and I have a biased perspective, but so many things that are labeled dad things, all I can see is the good side of them. It's like, like the, the, the honorable motivations behind it. Like the reason those things exist, the reason they're there and like, and none of them are bad and none of them are shameful and none of them are things that things that you should change because so many times when dad things are thrown at people it's the idea is that you should do something different than what you're doing and i say no i this is exactly what i should be doing it's like it's like hurling insults at a pitcher for throwing strikes it's like but this is i have this probably bad baseball analogy sometimes you want to throw a ball and intentionally walk somebody i understand anyway pick Mm. your analogy they're all you know, and that's that's where the indignity comes from. It's like, no, you don't understand. And, and, and who, they probably either do understand or don't care, which are, again, the reason you don't tweet these things. But then apparently you talk about it for an hour on a podcast. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Blue Apron. You can learn more about Blue Apron right now by going to blueapron.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. For less than $10 American per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes, along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Each meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. 40 minutes, that's already hardly any time at all. Customize your recipes each week based on your dietary preferences and choose a delivery option that fits your needs. There is no uh, weekly commitment. You only get deliveries when you want them. 
and Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental United States, that's almost all of it. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with fresh ingredients that support a more sustainable food system, you can make incredible meals. Blue Apron sets the highest quality standard for their community of artisanal suppliers, family-run farms, fisheries, and ranchers. And check this out. New recipes are created by Blue Apron's culinary team and are not repeated within a year. That's the Blue Apron promise. I just made that up. They're going to have to run with it. But, but listen to this. this the, the food is crazy. I, I, don't, I don't make stuff like this. I, I, I would never think to make potato and broccolini samosas with coconut lentils and yogurt sauce. Jiminy. Mushrooms and chipotle pepper enchiladas with lime sour cream. How about sunchoke and egg noodle casserole with kale and gouda mornay sauce? Ah, before Blue Apron, I'd never heard of a sunchoke. I didn't know what that was. I'll tell you the truth. My buddy John Syracuse, he's a big fan of Blue Apron. He cooks their stuff all the time, and he hardly likes anything. So that's really saying something. So please go. Check out this week's menu. You're going to get three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash diffs. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Go now. BlueApron.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Our thanks to Blue Apron for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Well, that's the, that's why that's why the giving tree is so moving. And some ways, and, you know, none of us are as giving as the giving tree. But that's, oh, that's, we, don't, we don't want to martyr ourselves. We're just dads here. But yeah. Right. We're not yeah. the giving tree. Let's go. Let's, let's keep it. Let's rein it back in for a second. But yeah, I get where you're coming. But from. yeah, but you get you get roughly the direction. And and, and we carry these children for nine months in our. I, well, I was just order in the court. I would like just to stipulate for the record that in all of our dad this and dad that, it's nothing compared to what my wife does. Not even like like the the the, the palest shadow. Right, and, and I feel like people recognize that more, which is why there's mom jeans, but there's far less like mom jokes and you know. Well, I guess uh, here's the thing with with the mom stuff. My perspective is most of the mom things that I hear are shaming women for not conforming to the male gaze. So mom jeans aren't as attractive as regular jeans and mom sweaters make you look dorky or whatever. And your whole job as a woman is to be attractive to a man. So anything you do that doesn't conform to constantly being as attractive to the man as possible is bad. And that is the or, you know, misogyny, essentially, as a source of all mom jokes. But I don't see a lot of mom jokes based on the premise that moms are loving caring nurturing and self-sacrificing because that's what our society expects women to be and insults are not thrown at them for that whereas the, it's almost like the dad ones are like dads should be you know more like the as we've said before every every previous generation of parents is colder and more harsh than the current one and every current right. one is like coddling their children or whatever but in the spectrum right. especially for the men you know you should be stern and don't show your kids too much affection. And we've come so far since like the 50s dad or whatever, but it's still always a spectrum. And so the insults hurled at dads are a little bit gender role specific as in stop trying to be endearing to your children and be more stern or you should be ashamed for not being cooler or whatever. Um, or, or like, I mean, like another way this might be a little bit blunt, but, you know, stop, um, stop appearing to need love. Or, or stop, you know what I mean? Stop appearing. Yeah, you shouldn't You shouldn't care if your kids care. They should just do what you say and obey your commands, and you shouldn't care about your relationship or how much they care about you. Right. Which, in some respects, is like, like again, stop, stop to trying extremes, to, stop like trying the helicopter to make connections. parents is like, you're not supposed to be your kid's friend, and so on and so forth. Like, this, this right. is a spectrum, and they're constantly, uh, you know, pushing and pulling. But over time, the trend is clear. You know, from the world where you were told you should kiss your children once a year, uh, but that's it, and if you do anything more than that, you'll destroy them to the current trend which is that you know you should 
met your life should revolve around your child and you should do everything for them and look at your coddling. Like that will always be true. A hundred generations from now, the, the 99th generation will tell the hundredth generation that they're coddling their children and should be behaving Absol- like the Absolutely. 99th. Yeah. That like, and I don't know if that ends somewhere or if it bounces back or bounces. It's not a sleuth trend. It has like, you know, backlash and everything like that. But I feel like for, for the history that I'm aware of anyway, for, for the short span of written history, uh, that you know, or even just the history of this country, the trend is pretty clear in one direction, but maybe that is a, a short view and really if I went back way past uh, the history of recorded time, we would find, uh, 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 you know, before written history, you'd find that actually the parent-child relationships were much more likely are now than they were, and then the aberration is actually the weirdness of the Victorian area and the Industrial Revolution and all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I, I've wondered about that too. Yeah, I was telling, um, I was telling, what were we talking about? It doesn't matter, but I was, we were talking about my mom and we were talking about, cause you know, her, her other grandma uh, passed away very recently and we all really miss her a lot. But, um, we were talking about my mom. We just had a phone call with my mom and I was talking about something, you know, you end up talking about, you know, when you were a baby and when you were born and like, you know, we like those stories. She, she enjoys like kind of going through that every month or two, like as kind of a funny story, this big baby that couldn't come out. And, um, but I was telling her about how my mom, not to say too much, but my mom had a real hard time. My parents for 10 years have been trying to have a kid and just enough said that they, had had a lot of problems. It was very hard. And they finally had me after 10 years. And the two, the two things they wanted to do with my mom, as soon as she was well and truly pregnant, which at this point she couldn't even believe, one of them was they wanted to put her on the pill, <laughs> which at that point in 1966 was a very controversial thing, as you can imagine. And about the last thing that a lady who'd lost, you know, a baby <laughs> wanted to hear was they're putting her on the pill. But you know what the other thing was? They really wanted her to keep her birth weight down, the birth weight uh, down. So can you guess what the medical advice was? They wanted you to be born at a lower weight but full term still? Yeah. I don't know. Well, Diet? You eat, well, close. You got to eat less, but you know it would be really helpful? Make sure, make sure you keep smoking. <laughs> well, this explains so her much. doctor her doctor specifically told her to keep, and i'm imagining something from like a mr show sketch where you've got the <laughs> you got the doctor in the white coat yeah and then he turns to the camera and says laramie cigarettes which is a little ad as you leave the room mm, camel sues your t-zone <laughs> which is so bananas to my daughter who just does not have like you know smoking around her? Mm-hmm. It just seems so weird. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Boy, you're right though. There is so uh, it's too much to get into. We gotta talk about Interstellar, but you know there is there is just so much barely submerged, like seething. I don't know misogyny. It's, misogyny is a word like like racism or homophobia that I try to use. Very carefully, especially, you know, there's these certain words that I think they no longer mean what they were originally meant to mean, and I want to be careful about how I use them. I don't want to say misogynist, I want to say anti-woman. I think there's an anti-woman feeling. Well, it, I mean, as many people point out, it, it's just, it's anti-man, too, because it is it is uh, prescribed gender roles, all, you know, granted, totally chosen based on the needs of men, but they hurt men not as much as they hurt women, obviously, but they also hurt men. The roles, the roles are they're not they're not as impossible. They're not as impossibly contradictory, and the stakes of not getting them right are much lower for men. 
that's it's a they're they're playing a different game. We're I mean they're playing with the houses. Uh, we're playing with the houses chips, but like you know they that's their real life on the line. But it's because the whole system is based on the the lowest level, most base needs of men, right? Very very unexamined, very 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 primitive stuff right. that is based on being eleven, which is which is terrible for women, terrible. But that like the, the the secret turns out is also actually has detrimental you know effects on men as well like that it has any effect at all is, is hard to process it's like wait a second aren't these completely anti-women yes they are 100 percent. but also not great for men either because you end up shove if you don't conform to this you know it's that's why you get into more gender roles you yeah, must I, conform I, see, I, see, I see your distinction thing. it's not it's not a thing that's about women it's it's about gender like trying to nail these things yeah. to a certain gender. Define gender roles in which women are completely subservient, so super terrible for women, but right. also you must be dominant and macho if you're a man. And if you fit into that, you're like, this is a great system. I get exactly what I want, and I get to impress and oppress more than half the planet. Yeah, like I guys who system. brag about never having changed a diaper. Like I've, exactly, I've heard that. Exactly. I've, I've but, heard men brag about that, and I thought, oh my gosh. I just, I don't, I'm not entirely sure who to feel sorriest for, but I'm going to start with your child's mother. Yeah. Like what a what a what an odd thing to to like, even or especially when you're just around other dudes to brag about something like that. Because it's you're like, trying to say, look how well I'm conforming to the expected gender role in which uh, I have a wife who serves me, and yeah. especially especially if you have not conformed to the expected role of your gender in so many other ways, you weren't a great athlete, you weren't super popular, you weren't amazing with the ladies. The fact that you, those people are the most vocal about the idea that see how well I finally uh, conform to this. Toxic model of gender roles, yeah, right, right, guys, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, 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 I've uh, in order to achieve this fragile state that I'm terrified of losing, I've managed to make life unmanageable for all these other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you going right, to anyway, do? Anyway, this whole segment is an amazing example of our, our ability to feel bad for ourselves in the most ridiculous way possible. But it has been on the list for a long time and so it is but bubble. this is this is the 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 weird like sad harry chapin part is that and you know i've i don't know it's uh, this is again one of those things that you either get this cuz it's happening to you or you at best you get it intellectually until it does happen to you and i'm not trying to say people are literally incapable of understanding this but there's understanding something and there's really really understanding it and the thing that i was one of the things i was really unprepared for was how emotionally complicated it would be to see myself as because normally you know when you're growing up like even if you're a pretty woke person or you're a pretty like you know socially well adapted person you do still kind of tend to look at the world uh you know in terms of like how it affects you like what is this what does this mean to me and you know that's certainly mostly how i live my life like anybody else but it was very it was a very strange and emotionally complex moment to really really realize that i was now me the person who's the center of the universe secondarily that i was the child of these other people and that i'm also now the parent of this other person and it was it was a real strange it was like a like like that third act of 2001 moment for me where i felt like this suddenly this 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 little aperture blew up in this entire universe, and there's a certain, I don't know, maybe corny kind of oneness you start to see about people. That's really weird. Like, every every grandfather 
and grandmother started out as a baby. They started out as somebody else. This gets so obvious. Most obvious, maybe the most obvious thing in the world until it really, really hits you. I don't know if you got this, but there's something very emotional about that. And I say emotionally complicated because it wasn't just good. It wasn't just like, oh, I finally appreciate my parents. It wasn't anywhere near that complicated, anywhere near that simple or unalloyed with the complexity of like how your whole life has been conducted. I found it a little overwhelming. And I still, when I think about it, even like right now, I find it a little overwhelming to think about the many roles that you are suddenly inhabiting in the world and maybe not realizing how many of those roles you've been in before. It's yeah. Every weird. so often, I catch a glimpse of what I, whatever I'm doing, must look like to my kids and what the ramifications of that will be, and it's terrifying. And in some respects, you just want to slam that door, but in other respects, it's like a moment of clarity. And you're like, I sh- if I was in this state all the time, maybe I wouldn't be so terrible. But on the other hand, it's it's you're exactly right with the third act, two thousand one. It's like, wham, and you just it's too much to take in. Yeah, it is. And and the thing is, like, here's the, the the funny part of the story is, even if you're like like somebody who enjoys fictions and stories and twists and turns out, is it's very, uh, if you had told me this whole thing and laid it out for me, first of all, I would go, okay, well, that all seems a little weird and fruity and kind of new age. This whole, like, you know, child is the father of man, you know, kind of idea. But um, I don't, I don't think I could have even accurately predicted the ways that it would be complex. And I just the ways I would think about, like, you know, every member of my family, and I would have this, you know, uh, as I said last episode, I would Shyamalan down so hard on, like, running through my head all of the roles that everybody in my family had been through. And it's it, it's, it can be a little overwhelming to suddenly go like, oh, man, so, like, this has all happened to my uncle, too. It's a little bit like when you first find out about the birds and the bees, and you suddenly think about your principal, and you're like, them? They do that, too? <laughs> and you suddenly go through, like, you start running through everybody in your family, and, like, every good and terrible and weird person in your family have all been through these shifting roles. And even if they've talked about it, you still can't really grok it until that 2001 moment. I hammer on that pretty hard with, on the one side of it that's easy for me to deal with because it's outside of me, right? which is reminding my children constantly that that I was a baby, that I was a child, that I learned to speak, <laughs> that I learned to tie my shoes, that I had to do chores, that I had to do what my parents Just told wasting, me. Just wasting homework, your breath. Wasting your I breath. Had, look, yeah. I, 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 I hammered home a lot. Um, and it, down to like showing pictures of me as a baby and stories about things that I did in school. And sometimes it hits and sometimes it doesn't or whatever. That's the easiest angle to do. Cause it's like, whatever, let me tell you, child, I'm your parent. I'm going to tell you about things. And you're right. Most of it bounces off or whatever. But I think it is a useful angle. And the other angle I've been working on with my son slowly, but I think it will ramp up, is that girls have brains just like them. That they are actually people. That they have thoughts. So they have feelings. Exactly. They have brains they're, they're just gonna, like gonna, you. They're going to confuse you. Not smaller, you. special purpose brains. <laughs> they, they're not... going to confuse you, but they do They do have a brain like yours. Right. That they, that they think things. That they, I mean, in general, that other people have brains. Because, like, when you're little, you start off oh, with that. But that's, that's 100%. Like, when they're little, they don't even see any world outside themselves. But specifically working on the idea that women are people. And sometimes it starts with just that your mom is a person and that your parents are people and they have thoughts and feelings. Um, but specifically, especially once the, the, the genders bifurcate, which I, we keep discussing when that happens. I don't know when it happens. But eventually, the girls and the boys who used to play with each other all the time stop playing with each other and start dividing themselves up by I gender. I think it, de- it definitely starts as early as probably second grade. I've yeah, seen and it. And there's very little you can do to stop that. And it's like, fine, whatever. But once that happens, it's so easy for the boys specifically to start thinking 
that the boys are people and the girls are, I don't know, machines or like, or objects in the play space or uh, the weather or something other than actual thinking, breathing people. So I take, I try to remind him of that, not in like a heavy handed way, but every once in a while, I mean, I don't know, it just like, it's just a good reminder. And so in the same way that it's a good reminder that, I mean, sometimes I'm using the reminder that your dad was once a kid as a weapon when they tell me that I don't know anything about anything. And I have to tell them the story about how I went through the exact same thing that they're going through only was, you know, it it went even worse for me. And the reason I know these things is because I made the same mistake that you just made, but hundreds of times. That's, that is, that is um, unexpectedly painful for me. I mean, on the one hand, you know, if my daughter is going to ask me about anything, it's most likely going to be, can you get me a milk with a straw? Or can you get me a water with some lemon in it? And I say, sure. You know what she very rarely asks me? Remind me again, which was the Queen song that you were really into in 1977? She, she very rarely pulls that one out. What was that? What was the, the guy that was, oh, who's the one you really like in the Beatles? And he had that band in the 70s that she, she, she just wants water and milk, and that's my job. I still feel the need to explain you know, we will rock you and uh, listen to what the man says. I still feel the need to explain that to my daughter or explain like when I first heard this song, I can't not do that. That's a very dad thing in me, but it's, yeah, I, that, that to me is if there's a dad thing that I am guilty of, that's one of them. And I don't do it. I mean, like she's heard my band a little bit. I don't like make her sit down and listen to, I mean, I, I have presented a lot of music that I like a lot that I, that I could guess at a certain time she might like, and that has sometimes worked out. But she's now well and truly into, like, finding her own music. She, like, she hated Hamilton at first, and now, like, it's, it's her favorite thing. But, like, you know, she listens to, like, My Little Pony and stuff like that now, uh, which is actually better than you think. Not a lot better, but a little better. But, like, that's my dad thing is, like, you know, I still feel that maybe this spins out of the 2001 feeling of like i still like feel like oh there's this there's this little chance for this this weird common ground here and i kind of want to want to plant that seed i want her to remember us dancing around to the pixies you know when she was one Man, that window is closing though i i put in lots of work for that early on and i feel like i'm 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 all set there because like they're both the kids the first collection of music they ever got on little ipod that i preloaded i preloaded with all songs of my choosing and like, and I feel like I have laid the foundation. It's like, it's like picking the seed values for a fractal generator. I feel like that's that's all you can do. Like I did the best I could, right? Some of those are going to stick, some of those aren't. But I laid the groundwork. And also, I would say, driving around in cars, they're always listening to my music in the cars. And they're at the point now where they don't like it anymore. That's fine, but it's like it's too late. I already laid that groundwork. Your whole foundation is my music, right? So I mean, I mean, it's true. Probably true of my parents too. Is the reason I like Barbara Streisand and John Denver, like they did it too. Uh, probably not as intentionally as I did, but like sure, that's, yeah, that's life. And then after that, I feel like you know, set sail. Like you know, we're good to go. They're going to go off in their own direction, but I'll always, I'll always know what's under there. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash diffs that's d-i-f-f-s here's the thing casper is a company that is focused on sleep casper has created one perfect mattress that it sells directly to consumers eliminating commission-driven inflated prices casper is revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers in showrooms and passing that savings directly to the consumer that's you you're the consumer you need this mattress 
because its award-winning mattress was developed in-house. It has a sleek design, and it is delivered in an impossibly small box. I can tell you, when I got this box, I thought it was impossibly small. I thought there's no way. I thought it's going to be like one of those things on Amazon where you think you're buying a bed and it's actually a picture of a bed. No. It's an actual real bed, impossibly small. And in addition to the mattress, Casper now also offers an adaptive pillow and soft, breathable sheets. An in-house team of engineers spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. It's made of a supportive memory foam that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. Plus, its breathable design helps you to regulate your temperature through the night. Casper makes quality mattresses at great prices, and yeah, buddy, you know it. Up here, they are made in America. And buying a Casper mattress, ah, magnifique. Well, I'm making a kissy noise. It's completely risk-free. Casper offers free delivery and free returns to the U.S. and Canada with a 100-night home trial. If you don't like it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. How crazy is that? Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend one-third of your life on it uh, here's the thing. Get, check this out. This is crazy. You're going to get $50 toward any mattress purchase today. You go to visiting casper.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S, casper.com slash diffs. $50 off a mattress. That's monkey town banana pants. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Okay, well, I guess at this point... We um we might do <laughs> what's it called the spoiler slot the spoiler slot I'll have to, we'll have to workshop that I'm not sure what would be appropriate welcome to <laughs> kaching I guess it's the spoiler spot it, it, it's especially good because you can't say it no it's the best kind I feel like Dan I feel like Dan McCoy um the spoiler spot so the spoiler spot is uh, I think we are going to talk about some media. Uh, and, um, the main, I should have eaten more. I, we're going to talk about Interstellar and we're probably gonna talk about the OA. Is that, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do we have time for both of those? Uh, maybe not. We're doing Interstellar first. If we run out of time, fine. We'll save the OA, but. My OA stuff is pretty fast. Um, and I guess I, I hope my Interstellar is pretty fast, but. My, my OA stuff is not that fast, so we should do Interstellar first. Oh. OA, OA will keep. If we have okay, time, we can Okay, let's hang on. All right. So, uh, at this point, um. Spoiler slot for uh, the movie Interstellar. And and just the usual admonition, uh, this is uh, usually John's role, but I'll jump in here. Everything we talk about after this, you're not going to be missing anything. We're just going to be talking about the movie Interstellar from, what, 2013? Uh, you can go out and, and watch that, and then uh, come back and listen to this, but you won't miss out on too much other stuff. And off we go. So, to paraphrase yep. Seinfeld... You remember how uh, Jerry says uh, how breaking up with somebody is like tipping over a Coke machine? You got a rocket. You can't just you can't just knock it over in one push. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I finally did it. It might have even been after we finished. I went home. I pulled out the uh, Bluetooth headphones. I put them on. I sat down. And funny enough, uh, it's on Hulu. I thought I was gonna. I was ready to go buy like a copy because my truck copy was gone because I was so mad from the three previous times I tried to watch it. But uh, it turns out it's on Hulu and it, it's a pretty good looking copy. And I sat down and I watched Interstellar all the way through from the beginning. Is that for the beginning? Oh no, no ads. <laughs> I don't know what your Hulu deal is, but uh, when I always hear Hulu, I think uh, unskippable, terrible ads. No, I pay for. <laughs> 
Paying doesn't mean you get rid of ads, but yeah, okay. So no ads. That's good. Yeah. Well, that's a whole different topic. But yeah, so yeah, I did watch Interstellar, and uh, it, was a, it was a hell of a thing. So how far did you make it previously? I heard you discussing this on, uh, on Roderick, trying to think of how far you made it in. This is the really weird part. I might have been up late and having drinks. I had no idea how far into this movie I got. So I, I know on a couple occasions, I don't think I made it much past the corn. There was the driving around and learning lessons about life and tools. I do remember all of that, definitely. Um, I, you know what? i, I got to tell you, I'm pretty sure I even made it up to he's having a terrible time trying to explain to Murph that he's got to go. Because I, I, when I got there, I was like, yeah, I have seen this. And I feel like I, I feel like there's a, some part of my brain where I feel like I saw the big ending. We're in spoiler country here, right? Yep. The big ending where he's in the three-dimensional version of the five dimensions. I feel like I've seen that. But at the same time, I don't remember this the awesome specificity of going to the different planets. God, that was so well done. Um, but no, but a couple of times I bailed out early, and I guess – uh, to be honest, I don't. I hadn't remember how much of this I had seen. I just remember being very frustrated when I tried to watch this before. And this time I sat down, and I got to tell you, man, there's some silly stuff to talk about okra. There's some silly stuff in the first act of this, but goddamn, it's good. The first, the first end, pretty. The first two acts are were so good. I was thoroughly enjoying and thoroughly engaged in this movie. And it was really, it was ringing a lot of bells for me. And I was like, hmm, I think I got this wrong because this is, it's corny and it's a little bit of a stretch, but it is super ambitious. It is gorgeous. It sounds amazing. I love the walking robot thing. There was so much about it. I was like, man, I, I might've gotten this way wrong because this is extremely good to a point. Well, just before you move on to the ending part. Yeah. No, no I I just I I talked a lot there, but jump in anywhere, but that's yeah. that's just prologue in terms of like, you know, that I have to I mean like I I want to get it out early. Like I found parts of this movie almost unparalleled in how stunning they were. Um and really moving and really big along the lines of I guess obviously 2001. There were some really big ideas in this that I thought were super duper interesting and I thought it was gorgeous and sounded great. So yeah, for a lot of the movie, I was like thinking this this is really quite good. So the first part of the movie, in fact, the whole movie has enough big ideas, themes, and plot points for multiple other movies. Um, so the whole Earth covered with dust uh, thing, apocalypse thing, you can make a whole movie out of that. They don't have to leave on a rocket ship. The just a bit about arguing with the school teacher about the moon landing. That's a whole other movie worth of ideas right there. Right. Like how you, how you got to that state and uh, how we how we got to that state. Or, you know, like like it's like background stuff. Like oh, there's a whole like if you want to yeah, do like the world, the world building. That's, that's, yeah. that's a whole just just that for the, you know for the world building stuff. Um, the the life with children who are dying from respiratory things and how different people deal with that, which comes in which movie. comes in so late. Right. But that that's like a whole other thing of like I think there has been. I'm trying to think of what movie I'm thinking of where. You're in a situation where uh, children are, are dying because of an environmental thing, and how some families deal with that by trying to protect the kids. But like you know, what was it? Casey Affleck. It's one of the little Afflecks in there. How he deals with it versus how Murph wants him to deal with it, and that conflict, which seems weird, but how it can become sane if you find yourself in that situation. That's a whole movie. Then we've got the bid to save humanity by sending people elsewhere 
that's a whole movie. You don't need, without any of those things I described. You can have this movie where it's about I'm going to try to save humanity. We're going to go look for planets. We're going to send just, out things. Just the just the Matt Damon part, right? Uh, and so then, the Matt then, Damon part alone that that's a different movie, <laughs> right? And so now it's like okay, what about the mechanics of going there? The the idea that it's all a ploy and that Plan A was never going to be, and this whole person sacrificing to do Plan B, that's a whole movie without them getting in rocket ships. Once they get on rocket ships, it's like. Then you've got the Matt Damon thing and the different planets and the exploration. That's a whole movie. And it's like every one of these movies is great. And they're all combined in a way that makes a cohesive whole. But then you realize there's there's another movie in there that doesn't work out so well. And that's the movie with with Murph and the watch and the dust and the ghosts. That movie I tried to like disassociate from uh, while the other movies were going on. Because I figured, well, this will be something or whatever. That one turns out boomerang back at you. And if you're not careful, can ripple backwards through the movie and make you hate it. It doesn't right. ruin the whole thing for me, but that turns out to be uh, an overall arc that I feel like does not fit in with all the other movies that are there and makes people, including me, uh, angry about it. Yeah. The, the way you're describing that, it makes me think, uh, I'm not doing the exact math on this, but depending on how you chose to sort of gerrymander up the editing of this, you could make a season of Black Mirror out of this one movie. Almost. You know, it just in the sense that... It's much better than Black Mirror. No, but in the sense that there are some very... Along the lines of The Twilight Zone, if there was some kind of like an anthology show. Like, there's a lot of... There's there's plenty enough interesting ideas in this, like you say, that could have been... And I think they were subtle and serious enough. Like, they weren't super overblown, because in the Black Mirror one, like, people wouldn't believe that, like, you know, I don't know what they were. It would be, it would be so much more overblown. Well, like, you know, oh, overlook, overlook, that overlook that example. Overlook that example. But I'm, no, I'm agreeing with you. I, I, and, and here's the other thing, though. It's like, and there's this, I don't know what to call this, but it makes me think of uh, the director John Woo. Or it makes me think of there's certain there's certain directors or maybe I guess maybe Edgar Wright who I think is probably my favorite director right now but like there's certain people where I can't tell you exactly why but I buy in like a John Woo movie like I buy in I buy into how this ridiculous premise of this movie because of the incredible implementation of whatever those ideas are and sometimes the payoff, it doesn't it doesn't get sillier like there's a silly concept that like you're going to swap faces or whatever but then there's the implementation that's really fun ditto with Edgar Wright like Edgar Wright movies they're <laughs> they're not hyper realistic if you buy in on the concept that this is the zombie movie this is this cop movie this is this whatever if you buy in you're going to overlook you can potentially overlook so many things. Now, in the case of Edgar Wright, there's not that much to overlook because the guy's movies are a Swiss clock. But in this case, like, there was tons of stuff that as we rolled along, I thought was a little silly. We're, we're not talking about the, the, mo- more, the second most painful thing about this movie, which is that the twist is desperately obvious from the very beginning of the movie, which is, you just sit with Which me. twist is that? Which one? <sighs> Who's moving the books? Some version of Matthew McConaughey, some somehow Matthew McConaughey, in some form or fashion, is involved with what's happening with the dust in the books. I was holding out hope that wasn't true because I didn't was you, totally on board that? with. Like, I was totally on board. With, see, they were so good with the character stories. Matt Damon's character story, I think, is a good character story. I totally and agree. Matthew McConaughey's character story of having to leave his daughter to save humanity, I thought was a good character story, and I guess in my heart of hearts I couldn't bring myself to believe that it was going to like maybe maybe because you had heard like because I saw this before everyone was angry at it, right? So maybe because you were primed with that, you realized oh this is going to be that. But I like, just die, just be, die magnificently. That's your job. I I, I, mean, I, w- I hoped it would be, you know, 
kids think they see all sorts of things and this is a manifestation of her of her stress about the state of the world and her dad leaving her and whatever but to them to reconnect it and literalize it and try to jam it into a sci-fi movie oh god like that was a that like Ugh. that could also be its own movie we've seen movies like that where the whole movie is one big arc that wraps around to the beginning i mean hell predestination like whatever you know that can be a movie too but that movie does not fit with these other pieces these other pieces do fit together i feel like all the all world right. building and all the different stories and all the character arcs. What's his name? Uh, uh, Alfred? Not Alfred. Um, yeah, I know who you mean. Michael Caine. Yeah, Michael Caine. His his arc. His you know like every character story. I loved all the characters. I loved the acting. I loved all the individual character stories. But the Matthew McConaughey's character story falls off the. And even you were making fun of the last episode. And you must have seen up this already. Um, of Elliot Kalen's girlfriend. Uh, what's her name? Yeah. Uh, giving the speech about Lug, but that's her character story. That's not a plot point. She can believe and say those things. I mean, they're in ridiculous situations under tremendous amounts of stress, and for her to express that, that's perfectly fine. I don't mind because the movie isn't but saying it's, it's the that setup Lug has for the, this, It's the setup right. for such a terrible resolution of all of those great movies that this wanted to be right but at that point you don't know that at that no. point she's just saying these things and she believes it that's fine when the movie says but no 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 actually she was right that seemed really out of place with her character i think uh, i mean I, I feel like she's breaking down at that point and i i will mostly buy that you know because again because, like, because she really wants to see that one guy again. yeah and especially since here, here's the thing here's why i find that believable um this whole thing is a desperate attempt to save humanity, and they're supposed to believe that it's possible because they're the ones trying to do it, but at a certain point, you're like, screw humanity. This was thing was doomed from the start. Yeah. Now, now, I just now that twist, I, I did not see that. I want to just say, I did not see that twist coming. The, 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 there is no plan A. I didn't see that coming. I mean, but that's that's the character arc of Michael Caine, and now you think about his whole performance and what he was doing yeah. and the, the nobility of it and the insanity and, and the, you know, like... I love all the characters in the movie. I love all of their arcs. I don't love how they... Th- that one line, they tied it back together. And I feel like that line, even though I didn't want to see it, is really the through line in the movie. That's the trouble part. Just, I'm just yes. clinging on to the parts that I like better than that. And yeah, it's like, it's like head it's like headcanon where you're like, I don't know what the end of this should have been, but I'll tell you, uh, it wasn't more than a couple of days after watching this that I was immediately reminded of Brazil. And getting to go back and see the director's cut of Brazil as against what i mean are, have you seen both the theatrical and director's cut of brazil no but I'm, I'm familiar with the alternate cut well i mean it's it's difficult to describe just love, how the love conquers all cut i think is the, the other one i guess well th- th- i mean I, I don't want to spoil brazil for people but let's just say that like uh it would be difficult to imagine two more antithetical ideas about how well, i'm talking about way beyond blade runner here like to me mm. The, the Brazil is like A and not A. That's the difference in those two endings. It's not it's not a subtle like, oh, is this unicorn supposed to be, you know, Deckard? No, <laughs> this is like and, and to me with this, I feel like we got the theatrical ending with this. Really? Like he's everything's fine. And he's on the curvy planet now. It was like it was it was so. And, and so, you know, and I, I'm trying to be smart about this and go, okay, well, maybe this is not for me. Like, I thought this was for me, but, like, if that's how they're going to end it, like, that's what was frustrating because it felt like it was for me. You know, that feeling so of, you like... Th- you, thought, you thought that was the biggest betrayal, the fact that he gets to see her in the end? Because I thought the biggest betrayal was the whole five-dimensional space and ridiculous coincidences. The and- fact that they could go through all of that jibber-jabber and nonsense 
with the five dimensions to three dimensions and the aliens are helping us and we don't know who's helping us. We don't know why mm-hmm. that you get through all of that and you go, you're going, Oh, come on. No, is this the hill we're going to die on? You know, you're, and you're still thinking like, Oh wait, she's got to go decode everything. And Oh, there's a bootstrap paradox. Isn't that smart? And then though, like to, to add insult to injury, then you get the, Oh God, let's go. He's got to go visit his daughter and she's old. And isn't that painful and ironic? See, and I, I was I, so I, I angry I, at that point. I think a part ways for you there because what I would like they already had up to that point in the awesome sequences on the wave planet, the water planet, right? With uh Tars or whatever his oh, name is. God, that was a great that was such He's good. Awesome. Design. And they're they're on that planet with the waves and the time dilation and the fact oh, that well, like, yeah, we, you know, we I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, but we gotta talk about that because that was that was one that just hit me between the eyes. The whole like what is it, one hour of seven years? Right, and what the fact that they, they find themselves landing, they think they're landing years after the previous guy landed, but they're actually landing not not long after he landed. It's like 45 landed, minutes later. And they don't realize the time. Like, right, so they're already playing, which I, I love that whole sequence, and they're already, uh, that's a factor in the movie, the whole time travel, time dilation stuff. So I see a path, a clear path, avoiding avoiding the five-dimensional, three-dimensional space, avoiding the bookcase bootstrap paradox crap. That brings you from their tragic mission to save humanity and the various realizations and the Matt Damon betrayal and all the other stuff. Although I feel like you could have cut Matt Damon out if you wanted to remove one of the movies. But I thought I liked him and I thought that was a good section. You can get from that to him being reunited with his daughter when she's old because you know there's time shenanigans going on. And you could still have him. Because the whole thing is his arc of like, I have to leave my daughter and she hates me for it. I felt that. Maybe I'm a sucker dad getting back to the previous No, no, no. I, I thought it was, I totally it was, very, felt that. It was very effective. And, and if you want to end on he finally gets to see his daughter, but she's really old and dying, uh, I'm willing to go there. I just say, do not pass through five-dimensional space bootstrap paradox bookshelf. Murph whispering. Do not pass through there. <laughs> the, right? the Murph whisperer. Yeah. Do not, like, avoid that. You can get to that ending. You don't need to do that other stuff in between. You don't even need to save humanity. You can, it, you know, like, her arc is figuring out the, the thing or whatever. Like, like yeah, I, I mean, I'm not saying you have to end there, but I'm just saying the, the pieces for you to end there were there. They just took this detour that they wanted to, t- like, I mean, that's the story they wanted to tell, and it's fine. It's just that so, so many other parts of it and uh, are, are so great, and I, I love so many of the characters that it's just a shame to see them take this take this diversion into the bookshelf world that I didn't want them to take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess we're, we're cutting to the chase at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it looks like a Chemical Brothers video. Like, yeah, it's well done. Like, that's visually very interesting. Um, you know, but nonsensical, but entirely nonsensical. Yeah. I mean, again, I mean they, they do the magic of, like, you know, character you've never seen before. Oh, guess what? They want to help us for some reason that we don't have to explain, but it's, it's like deus ex machina, but, but like, you know, it's we don't have to explain it. Just suffice it to say that this is what's going on here, and isn't that interesting? No, it's not interesting. You spent the whole movie doing a bunch of interesting stuff, and then at the last minute, you pull this thing out of a hat and say, oh, and see how it loops back together? Well, okay, and here, so here's another one. I don't want to dwell on this, but like, um, I needed him to die in that movie. It, it was important to me that he die in that movie. It was important to me that, that everybody on those ships die. 
I'm like, perfectly happy with him living and his daughter but, dying and him seeing her die. Okay, see I now, would be okay now I would have I would have been a little bit more okay, more okay with 3D 5D being like the the secret to like here, here's the uh, here's the secret Deus Ex Machina, but I'm not going to be there to enjoy it with you. That to me would have been more. Uh, I still would have been. Well, I'm just saying it would have been better, but, but like, because it's it's like in a murder mystery where at the end they say, and by the way, a character that was never introduced and was never on screen, that's the one who did it. Aren't right. you satisfied? It's like, no, I'm not satisfied. That's not, that's not fair other, play. It's the first I'm seeing of this person. Right. Where did they come from? Oh, they're the murderer. They did it. Oh, but didn't we mention there's mysterious aliens we don't know about who may be helping us in a way we don't understand? Okay, sure. Okay, I guess they were there all along. The worst. Okay, the worst. But, but this, I just want to, the, the part I want to like really focus on is like, I mean, you know, I can, I can, I'm saying this without like the slightest bit of like me being mad or irony. I completely under, understand. I, I can completely understand why this could be somebody's favorite movie, um, because <laughs> it's just you know, I, and I get that because like it's very. I mean, that's a sweet. It's a sweet ending. It's it is a sweet, hopeful, like really nice ending. And actually, the ending ending where we cut to her away on, in her little space igloo or whatever. That was a very interesting decision to, to end it on uh, Elliot's girlfriend. But and just the part that I want to underscore for why I keep talking publicly about why this movie frustrated me was like. It's it's the worst, not the worst kind of. It's it, for so much of this movie to do so many things like so very well, and 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 and, and you know, talking about, for example, just that whole you know finding out that okay, there's these three planets where it might work, and you're like, oh my god, this is such an interesting idea, and then to have the implementation of that go the way it does, where it's like, okay, this isn't working out. Oh, now it's really not working out. I, as much as it was hurting me, I was loving it. And as a fan of the apocalyptic things, I bet you were with me. We're like, oh, this is just going to get harder and harder. And then it gets worse and it's getting worser and worser. And you realize that, ah, you know what? Maybe the big story is that like, there is really this human frailty at the midst of all of this competence. And that's an interesting story. It's just that, it's just I'm right back where you were when we last talked, which is like to have the peg that you hang it on, you know, end up being this really, really flimsy, like freshman composition idea about love and bookcases was just heartbreaking to me. I was that's why I say I'm angry, because I was this this could be one of my favorite movies, except for these parts. And now I see what you mean about like head cannoning out parts of this movie and then uh, it's also explains i think why whenever it comes on tv i find myself watching it like it's one of those movies that i can't it's turn very off absorbing be- it's really because absorbing. i love all those parts of it and i want to see them again and it, i get caught up in it and i you know i just yeah it, it's a it's a weird it's a strange thing this movie i mean and, and the thing is i also have despite what everything i said about the ending I have a mostly positive recollection of seeing the theater because I saw it on IMAX and sure. with big loud sound and everything. Like, and I knew when the ending was happening, it was like uh or whatever. But I didn't come out of that theater hating it, and it took me a while to get angry about the ending, uh, like I, or to get to get good and angry about it. Right? I was like, well, this, ha- this they lost it in the ending, but I was like, man, what about all those other parts? And and you know, as time has gone on, I've been giving it. Yeah, it's like. But you had all those other parts, and you blew it in the ending, and it seems all the more tragic, right? From from my perspective, again, some people may yeah. like the ending, but I'm I'm predisposed not to like that type of ending. But I like the other parts of it so much. I, I'm generally not. I could have I could have liked that ending more. I mean, I think that the thing that were where it really falls apart is the 3D 5D thing. That that was I, I was there's so much in this I was willing to look past. I mean, including there's so much 
like wackadoodle hand wavy stuff about how any of this really works. But it was ambitious and it had the big ideas. But like there was just it was it was it was such a bald emotional play and like just really landing on the nose on the one hand with what we kind of could have guessed that this would be com- combined with like, ooh, look over here at these amazing special effects. And it was just, you know what they're saying though? They're saying it's the last harvest for okra. My God, what an amazing yeah. line. Uh, you're going to have a lot of other uh, <laughs> movies in this universe. Prequels, all that good stuff. I hope they never do though. Um, all this said though, kind of like Arrival, very similar to Arrival. We have to have held together. It. Oh, you have to see that. I know. I really want to see it. I mean, it is. It at its best, it is not as good as the best in Interstellar. But at its worst, it is not as bad as the worst. In it's got a higher floor. Yeah. yeah. So it it is more it is it is more mediocre. But but like movies like uh, Arrival and Interstellar, I wish they made three of these every year, even if none of them were any better than these. Because I love this type of movie. And if you're gonna, I want you just to try to do it. And if you, if I don't like some part of it, or I think you mess it up, whatever. I would so much rather see that than like, you know, uh, Paul Blart Mall Cop Part Five, which I will never see. Well, you know, until they do the prequels. But I, you know, what you're not hearing me saying is, I wish this movie was expunged and didn't exist because I'm glad it exists. And like, God, this, this, the uh, the incomparable slack can be so difficult sometimes because people have such strong opinions, and I can't help. But, like, pick up some of the opinions of stuff I haven't seen. So impressionable. Yeah, but time is, you know. Yeah, well, you gotta, you gotta watch movies before. Yeah. Don't listen to podcasts about movies that you haven't seen. No, no, but like. Don't listen but, to too many opinions about movies you haven't seen. But as usual, Anthony nailed it. You know, I forget his exact quote, but what did he say? He said something like, you know, I'd rather see something that's really ambitious that didn't work out rather than something really mundane that did. Yeah, something along and it doesn't lines. have to be ambitious. I just like sci-fi movies, and they don't make many of them. A lot of the movies that are supposedly sci-fi are really action-adventure movies with this, with you know, with sci-fi settings. Uh, I like sci-fi movies, and they don't make that many of them anymore. And a lot of sci-fi movies do have some sort of terrible problem involving the plot or a silly ending, but I wish they made more of them. Because uh, serious sci-fi movies, not silly, not funny, not Mars Attacks, which I like, fine. But like, yeah, I, know what you mean. I feel like there's been a drought of, of uh, pretentious, self-serious sci-fi movies. That's what I like, <laughs> pretentious, self-serious sci-fi movies. And a lot of them are disasters, but I will, I'll watch them. But like, but like, for example, like with Predestination, I, that's another one that I think is yeah, very... a pretentious, self-serious sci-fi movie, for you sure. Probably, you probably hated it, right? Uh, I, I, that was... It was fine. It was whatever. But like, like I, 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 but again, but, but like, okay, so whether or not... So, but like, to me, this is... You don't get a Synecdoche, New York without making some, you know, again, a famous movie but between us where we're like, I get why other... It's like the Smiths of movies. Like, I understand mm-hmm. why you, the listener, don't like that movie. In the same way, I hope you can understand why Interstellar was frustrating for me. But let me take two giant steps back and say, oh, God, please, more of these. Like, as much as this movie pained me, I'm I'm so... I mean, like, I don't want to make the obvious, the, the dad joke about Paul Blart, but I'm with you. I, I totally agree. I would love to see more of these movies that really that challenge the challenge our idea of um what you can even put on a screen these days let's let's put it in the most mundane terms you know what i mean like maybe maybe in the early late 60s early 70s you know there were movies that came out that showed people what you could do maybe it got a little bit silly have you ever seen solaris 
the original uh, neither version have i seen but that is also the type of movie. I, I should see it wasn't it Clooney in the the most recent one in the new one but the like polish i guess original one yeah. like i that has been on my list forever because it feels like something like i've never <laughs> seen silent running even like there's lots of these these very famous sci-fi movies but like yeah, you miss the days in the same way that, like, I kind of miss the days when you could have in the pre-blockbuster days where there there were a lot of terrible movies in the '80s and '90s, but there were some just real super weird movies that snuck in between the cracks that weren't strictly art movies. And like, I don't feel like we get those moonshot crazy movies as much anymore in this more conservative age. And so, like, I say kudos to Christopher Nolan and team. You know. Yeah, and like you said, push it like predestination, pushing the limits of what you see on the screen. It's more like pushing the limits of what you can get funded, because that's what it, it's like. Really, someone paid to make because predestination is a small movie in, in, it's in so the grand scheme weird. of things. It's so weird. Like it's, I mean, um, the other extreme is something like Primer or, or Primer, depending how you want to go there. Yeah, which is even lower budget and even more a house, but so much better movie than predestination. And so like predestination, I feel like is an uncomfortable middle ground, but, but either way, those are not the type of movies that they make a lot of. They make a lot of, it seems like the variety of movies that get made has been narrowing. So I wish this little, this little, uh, segment of the movie population of these quirky sci-fi movies that take themselves too seriously. I wish there was more of those. And speaking of that, I saw another one of those over vacation, uh, sunshine, which I I skipped hmm. over when it was like out in uh, skip definitely skipped in the theater because I don't see much in the theaters. I also skipped over when it came out in video because everyone gave it bad reviews. Mm-hmm. But some I don't know how somehow over vacation in my maybe it was part of my Brit Marling uh, if that's your pronounce her name oh, uh, yeah. obsession which we'll talk about in a future episode. Absolutely, she's um, so I had no so she like co wrote and co she was oh, the co person on the OA right. It's it's a whole thing. Um, next episode. Okay. Uh, but somehow I found myself wandering over to like sunshine fan stuff where the people are like, Oh, sunshine, it's a hidden treasure. People said it was bad, but actually it's not. And so I watched that and that was an ambitious self-serious sci-fi movie that I did not like, but still I say, please keep trying because yeah. I would like to see more of those, even though this one I totally didn't like and thought it really fell apart. Oh, I think I know what it was. I think it was, here's the connection. Here's the through line, the mind map or whatever. It's like, Brit Marling, which is a thing that we will discuss, and someone <laughs> said in some snarky conversation about it, it's like, she's like Danny Boyle, where everything falls apart at the end, like in Sunshine. It was like, I think Danny Boyle is the director who's yeah. supposedly notorious type of thing. I'm like, okay, well, I, I actually have Sunshine, so let me take a look at that and see how things fall apart at the end. And, you know, I mean, it's a sci-fi movie that I skipped over, and I couldn't remember why I skipped over it. Maybe it was just what other people said anyway i don't recommend watching sunshine don't bother but it's it's that that genre of movie which is so rare i don't remember when sunshine was but you don't some years ago you don't get a single movie like that yeah 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 i agree i wish there were more that i could continue to uh uh i I think i ended up buying sunshine on itunes and then didn't watch it but then finally made myself do it well i'm really intrigued to hear what you have to say about the oa i mean it's it's kind of late to bring it up now but we might want to say to people um if you got Netflix, you might want to at least would you, would you give the same advice that you gave to me, which is at least check out the first episode of the OA. Yeah, last time I talked about it with you, I had only seen episode one, and I said based on episode one, I think you should watch episode one. I would say it to everybody: watch episode one. If you feel like continuing, go ahead. We will talk more about it next time for for you, Merlin specifically. What happened to me? You don't have to do this, but I'm just saying I'm just t- telling you what happened to me, so yeah. you'll be prepared to either interrogate me about it or to fall down the same rat hole. Is that I learned. That the you know sort of creative force behind the OA uh, was this pair of people 
And they've done a small number of other things in the same team up. You know, it's Britt Brit Marling specifically, and she's an interesting person in real life. And whoever her other uh, director friend person, they've done a f- very small number of other things, uh, one, at least one of which is very similar. And so I wanted to know what her deal was. Mm-hmm. So I watched, what did I watch? Her other movie and whatever, whatever, one other thing that she was involved in I watched. I watched the, the entire series of the OA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, my wife and I binged it in like three days. Yeah. So I watched all the OA and then her two other movies. And I don't regret doing that. The but East, we'll have, High Origins, Sound of My Voice. Yeah, Sound of My Voice and The East are the other two I watched. I don't know, but maybe there's more that I need to get. But uh, having done those two, I feel like... And yeah, If you made it through all of the away, I would say watch Sound of My Voice sometime uh, and watch The East and you'll be, you will be marling up to your eyeballs. In a good way? I really hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Yeah. Um, and then and, and the next time we will talk about all of those things. I'm just going to say that if I had unequivocally loved all of it, I would be ranting at you right now that you have to watch them. I'm not going to say that. Of her other movies? Of everything. Everything involving her is interesting, but mm. I can't preach to Well, we did. I mean, we did watch away through the end. Yeah, I did too. Okay, all right. Hmm, this is very interesting. Hmm. Hmm. going to miss that okra. Really, of all the things to have the last crop of, Okra's kind of slimy. Like, let that one go. God, what a what a delivery of a line, though. Got to give that guy credit. Yeah. What were you doing the dust analogy on? Uh, that, that was Roderick too, right? The dust gets everywhere. I think it was it was rolling over him because I don't think he's <laughs> seen like, that movie. I don't like dust. Gets everywhere. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, that's that's where you were going, but he, neither one of you went there. But I don't he think also he's didn't get it. my Bruce Valanche joke. He usually, I mean, he's so sensitive about being compared to Bruce Valanche. He usually gets it. <laughs> He's just ignoring you now. <laughs> That's okay. I'm typing don't the whole time. Don't hear you talking. unless you knock, Curtis. I don't know that one. That is uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Tony Sindelar acknowledged. Yeah, that was a uh, that was a long, that was a stretch. That is the idea of uh, refusing to acknowledge something that you both know is happening as a stand against it happening. So he's he hears your Bruce Lynch. Oh, I see. He knows it's happening. Uh, you know that he knows it's happening, but he demands a different behavior. I his way see. To do that is, so I don't like, hear you unless it's you like not. training a dog. Right? You reward the yeah. good behavior and ignore the bad behavior. Right. Right. He can't. He can't even hear you unless you knock. Your your attempt to enter the room or yell is not a, a, even acknowledged. Let the right one in. Hmm. Did you ever see that? You ever see Let the Right One In? I saw the original. I never yeah. saw the remake. Nah, I didn't feel like I needed to because the original was great. So good. How about that kid? Wasn't he great? Yeah. <sighs> but, uh, those, no, no movie can be sad like a foreign movie is sad. <laughs> <laughs> From my American perspective. 